Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Matt, we are gathered around a a cheery fire this evening. It is quite a cheery fire. It's uh, nice and crackly and uh, poppy and uh, quite warm and cozy. It's very uh, tone-setting for the evening. I'm Very hoping, nice. I'm hoping that the crackle and pop is something that our mics are not picking up and that I'm not going to have to edit out of this episode later. But uh, I mean, you know it probably is. This is, uh, this is a, an element of risk that I'm taking upon myself. Uh, and I ain't even mad about it, you know? It feels great. It does. It's a it's a wonderful addition to the evening. We've not done that before, so... Uh, if not, if, this is a new thing for us. If it works out well, maybe we'll continue. And if it's a flaming disaster, <laughs> literally, <laughs> then, then uh, we'll you know, never do it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll let you make that decision, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. How you doing, Matt? Oh, I'm good. I'm uh, glad to be back. Glad to be back on a semi-regular regular schedule, um, two regular episodes in a row. Um, yeah, I think, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Here we are at the almost end of season seven. Uh, we've got one more episode, just the rank and recap, but we finished another game, Lyndon. That's we, seven we, games down. We finished a game this week. Yes, we did. Are we more than halfway there now? Technically. Well, well, this is where I pull up the list. It's, I know how many games are in the series, but, uh, we excluded some of them, like some of the multiplayer ones. Right. So um, I think that we are. Uh, no, our list is our list consists of 17 games. Ah, OK. Well, never mind. So, not quite halfway. Not quite well, halfway. All right. Uh, we're, no we're, celebration yet. We're, we're sure getting there, though. Yeah, we're, we're making headway. We're Absolutely. we're make taking a chunk out of it. Well, here this week to talk to us about the emotionally charged ending of The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker is returning favorite Max Nichols of Bungie and Hyrule Interviews. Huge fan of this section of the game. Max, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Long time no see. <laughs> Seven uh, days, exactly. I I literally, I don't know if I told you this, Lyndon, but at one point I had sent you, right after I beat this game, I sent you a message practically begging you to let me do this episode. And then I deleted it, so I was like, no, no, that's selfish of me. <laughs> And then I asked you more politely a few days later. Uh, the the energy of your plea went out into the universe and made its way to me after all. Uh, because, yeah, you know, we, we were trying to get everything scheduled out. And, uh, you know, Matt and I were talking about maybe maybe doing this episode just us two. Uh, but that that somehow didn't seem right. I felt like we needed uh, we needed a third party to to discuss everything that happens here because, um, you know, it's a it's a big old it's a big old thing. It's a major moment in the history of the Zelda series, and it really it, I think it deserves a panel of three to really accurately discuss. Yeah, I think you're right. Although, is this our first ever finale episode with a guest? We normally do finales by ourselves. Uh, we've had no. There's no way. I would have to go back and look. You had me for the finale of Breath of the Wild. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to talk about uh, Hyrule Castle so much. Well, that's fair. And then did we, have, we had to have had Josh for for Adventure of Link. 
Uh, okay, fair hey. enough. Point, point has been made. Yes. Anyway, there there is precedent. There is yes. historical precedent. Uh, how, how many weeks ago have you beaten this game, Max? Uh, it was probably three weeks ago now. Something like that. Maybe four at this point. Oh wow! Com- coming in, coming in hot, or uh, coming in from a while ago. Like I just beat it today. Coming in, coming in cold. very cold. Yeah, I I just beat it today. Did you just did you just get to a point with this game where the momentum was building and you knew what was coming up and you're just like screw it I've just got a I've got a forage on and I've got to clear it all out now. Uh, well, I was yes to to an extent yes, but what I was what actually happened was I was trying to prep for the the last episode, um, and this was before you'd made the decision to take the break. Um. So I, I finished the Triforce quest, and then I went on, because uh, I didn't think I would be in this episode that I'm in now, and then I finished the game right after that. So, And then you delayed uh, the episodes a few weeks, so that's why it was so far back. Yeah, yeah Lyndon, it's sense. all our fault. That, 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 two, that two-week gap really does make this season feel a lot longer than it actually has been. It's weird because I was looking back at the episode list um, – like I always have to remind myself what chapter number this is when I start making the audio files and everything. Um, I saw that this was only chapter eight and it it had me thinking, especially now at the end, especially the way that we've organized this game. It's actually somewhat more of a like svelte game than people usually mention when they talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's on the slimmer side compared to the, most of the other 3D Zeldas. Yeah, I mean, when you just look at main content, like specifically dungeons and um, main quest lines and things, it, it's pretty short. Like there are, uh, based on this week's uh, recap dungeon, there are four bosses. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. But it's so funny because the way that we do this can kind of make things seem artificially longer or shorter than they actually are. For instance, this game only has eight chapters, right? But back when we did A Link to the Past, I mean, we were doing it according to dungeons, right? And so that game felt absolutely massive just because we spent like 13 weeks on it, you know? Uh, looking back on some of those earlier seasons where, you know, we have a lot more uh, episodes, but each one is, you know, an hour or so. I think we're, we're probably averaging about the same total amount of pod per game when you look at like total hours spent uh, just talking because we do talk a lot like some of these games that we have compressed into or that feel more compressed just based on number of episodes instead of doing 13 or 15 we're doing eight um i think those are the ones we're getting you know two and a half hour episodes out of so um i think that it just spreads everything out a little bit more but um, when you condense it we're still putting the same amount of pod out there right because we have just way too many things to say way too frequently there's no doubt about that We, we we can get kind of long long-winded when it comes to some of this stuff but i I guess before we get into talking about the uh uh, before we get into the sacred realms rundown do that whole thing max um because uh, so next week we're doing our recap episode and the detective's going to come back on with us to help us actually rank this on the list so matt and i are not going to talk about our final impressions of the game or rankings or anything but i am just curious before we get into the meat of the episode in replaying this game did it did it move around at all on your list? Ooh, good question. Um, so when I first 
started replaying uh, for the first several hours, I was like, oh, this is like even better than I remember. This is like I'm enjoying this more than I enjoy Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask at this point. This is probably my number three Zelda game. Um, towards the latter half of the game, uh, those feelings kind of mellowed a little bit. Uh, so I'd probably put it on equal footing in my esteem with Ocarina of Time uh, and or Majora's Mask. I kind of have a hard time ranking those those three against each other. Um, it's definitely top five. Yeah, those were the three that I always felt like, uh, yeah, I have no idea where where my own personal ranking is going to land with those. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily have that worry for Matt. But uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, like I, I was kind of expecting that to be the case for me as well. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to say if that is the case. That'll be next week's content. But hmm. um, definitely, definitely glad to hear that uh, you enjoyed it just about as much as you remember. There's nothing quite as disappointing as revisiting a game that you have just impeccable memories of and then coming away from that most recent playthrough actually feeling a little down on it. That's always kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah, that one's that's no fun. Um, it so rarely happens to me with Zelda games, though. They almost always hold up. Uh, or or, they're, or they do the thing where they age like a fine wine and I appreciate them even more on replays, which happens sometimes. Yeah. And that's why Zelda two has climbed to the top of your ranking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a little joke. Oh no. Like vermouth. (laughs) (laughs) Vermouth that you forgot to leave, to put put in the fridge and now it's just soured wine. (laughs) Yeah. That's not great. I feel like that's. Ooh. I feel like that's maybe just a little unfair. It's a little harsh. Too, but it, <laughs> it was better than I uh, thought it. I was going. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would have. So kudos to Zelda too. Well, there you go. Awesome. All right. Well, with a little bit of a preamble now out of the way, I say we go ahead and jump into this thing. Get talking about everything that happened this week in the Wind Waker. Uh, Before we do that, let's get into some housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Additionally, one of the benefits that we offer to Master Sword patrons and above is that they get their names read every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Theodore, Matt, Chris, Daniel, Fallout 907, Kelso, Tiffany the Star, Daxel, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknuck, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Melanie, Kolku, Aiden, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Dante, Gep, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, aka your guest of the evening, Maximum Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. These are all legendary individuals. We appreciate them so very much. I would uh, not wish that any of these people be lost eternally at the bottom of the sea in a flooded kingdom. I mean, I don't wish that upon very many people, so that's a very low bar. <laughs> how about how about we wish them uh, to rise out of the depths of the eternal sea and uh, find hope amongst the uh, the <laughs> seeds that uh, King Bosphoramus has given to the world? The seeds of hope. That would be... That would be uh, that would be King Daphnis. Ah, Daphnis, that's right. Ah, 
Yeah. Well, you got your you got your you got your king's king's high rule mixed up there. I for did. A second. I did. Okay. It's easy, easy to do. It happens to the best of us, really. <laughs> okay. All right. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. Uh, we do that, of course, every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are covering the Wind Waker chapter. Eight, which is the finale section of this game. Part one of the Sacred Realms rundown is always, is as always the plot recap. This week, as read by Matt. Take it away, Matt. With the full Triforce assembled and the King of Red Lions admonishment still strong in our ears, we make our way to the portal that leads to the underwater kingdom of Hyrule that resides at the Tower of the Gods. Once we reach the place, the shining light is gone, but the king tells us to show the completed piece of the Triforce to the gods to prove our worthiness. After lifting the completed golden triangle, the portal appears. Not only does the portal appear, but the triangle disappears from our grasped hand. And to our surprise, the back of our left hand now bears the sigil of the Triforce, with the lower left portion shining brightly. The king tells us that the power of the Triforce now dwells within us, and that the indwelling of the Triforce of Courage is proof that we are indeed the true hero spoken of in legend. You have controlled the wind and crossed the seas, and here, near the end of your quest, the power of the gods has been bestowed upon you. Surely from this moment on, you will be known as the Hero of Winds. Now go forth to Hyrule, to Zelda's side. And so into the portal we go. But as soon as we enter the castle, we immediately can tell that ruin and destruction has visited this place in our absence. The statue of the hero lays in ruins, and the staircase to the basement lays open to the ceiling. We quickly descend to the chamber of the sword, where our great, where to our great relief we see Zelda still standing there. As we approach, however, she turns and is seemingly swallowed up by a great white light. In her place is an empty room, and the voice of Ganondorf calls out, mocking us. He tells us that with his power fully restored, there is no safe haven either above the sea or below it where we can hide, and we were foolish to leave Zelda in this place. He has taken her, and it is here that he promises we shall spend an eternal slumber. With these words, a ring of fire springs up around the sword platform, and two royal dark nuts appear to do battle. With the power of the Master Sword, the Triforce of Courage, and our immense skill with the blade, we make short work of even these mightiest of foes. With the Dark Nuts vanquished, we head back up to the main hall and see that the electric fence guarding the exterior of the castle has been deactivated. We head through but are again blocked by the magical barrier that contains the castle from the rest of the Sunken Kingdom. We unsheath the Master Sword and bring its full power to bear upon the magical barrier. And the barrier shatters to a thousand pieces under the might of the blade, and we are allowed to cross the bridge into the wider kingdom of Hyrule. The path before us is strewn with enemies we have defeated dozens of time on our journey, and this is no different. We make quick work of the foes and follow the path to an ominous chasm. Using our hookshot, we cross this chasm and find ourselves in a dark foreboding tower, which can only be the lair of the evil king. As we explore Ganon's tower, we find four corridors that resemble the four dungeons that we have tackled along the way. 
At the end of each of these corridors, we are transported to a grayscale magical realm where we are forced to fight the boss of each dungeon once again. Using only the items we had available at the time, but still with the power of the fully restored Master Sword, we make quick work of these phantoms. With each boss that is felled, the door at the end of the lava-strewn cave glows brighter, and after defeating all four, the door is opened to the bowels of the tower. We progress through the tower and find a room with lanterns and symbols on the wall arranged in different patterns. The king tells us that through, through our magical stone to memorize the details of this room as it will help in the coming trials. We head across the central chamber and find a room with switches that we can activate with the boomerang. We do so in the sequence suggested by the lit torches, and before us, a dark purple portal appears, a twisted mockery of the golden light that has shepherded us to this underwater kingdom. Out of the darkness, the King of Red Lions appears and tells us that this portal must be how Ganondorf escaped his imprisonment and invaded the Great Sea. We can use it to return to the surface if we require any potions or need to square away any unfinished business. But we need to continue on our way, so we head back to the room with the torches and gaze into the abyss below. A stone tablet on the far side of the room gives us a vague hint about following the way of the sword from the shadowy warrior, which means nothing to us at the moment. With no way forward but down, we jump into the mist and further into the depths of this evil place. Below, we are immediately confronted once again by Phantom Ganon. The spectral foe is quick to fall to, to the power of the fully realized Master Sword, and as it falls, its sword also falls to the ground. We notice, with the tablet's hint in mind, that the sword falls with the hilt pointing directly at one of the many doors that ring the room. We head through the door and are rewarded with a resounding chime, and also with another incarnation of the evil specter to fight. As we continue this pattern, we defeat the ghost what we feel like a dozen times, but eventually the phantom not only drops his sword, but a chest containing the powerful sacred light arrows. In the next room, we use the light arrows to immediately destroy the spectral Ganon, and this time we use his sword to destroy the wall with the sigil of a tusked boar on it. This finally reveals the path forward, and we head to confront the real Ganondorf once and for all. At the top of the stairs, after fighting off some more moblins and darknuts, we enter the ornate door and find a room of concentric circles. The outer circle is stone with torches dimly lighting the area. The middle circle is made of pure water that reflects the ceiling above. And the innermost circle is stone with a giant bed curtained in gauzy silk. On the bed lays a, an apparently sleeping Zelda. And behind her, looming large over her, is the dark shape of the evil king himself. As we approach the bed as quietly as possible given the water on the floor, Ganondorf hushes us so as not to wake the sleeping princess. He tells us not to be hasty, and he reaches for her forehead. And as he does, we see the same imprint of the Triforce on the back of his hand, with the topmost triangle glowing brightly. I can see this girl's dreams, he says. And as we watch, he begins describing what he sees to us. Oceans, 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 oceans. Oceans as far as the eye can see. They are vast seas. None can swim across them. They yield no fish to catch. What did the king of Hyrule say? That the gods sealed Hyrule away? He now rises quickly, eyes glowing malevolently as he stares at us from behind Zelda's bed. His tone is rising and the rage in his voice is unmistakable. And they left behind people who would one day awaken Hyrule? 
How ridiculous. So many pathetic creatures scattered across a handful of islands, drifting on this sea like fallen leaves on a forgotten pool. What can they possibly hope to achieve? Don't you see? All of you. Your gods destroyed you. While he has been monologuing, his gaze has been far off, as if on the object of his anger. But now he focuses his malevolent eyes squarely on us. I have been waiting for you, boy. For one like you, yes, for the hero. Do not betray my expectations. With this last line spoken with the derision and a sneer, we see the form of the evil king begin to morph grotesquely and become almost large enough to fill the room. The bed Zelda lays upon disappears, and before our eyes, the evil king has seemingly transformed into a gigantic beast. And as the black beast falls heavily to the floor, we see it is suspended from strings like a puppet. This realization is quickly followed by the puppet beast moving to attack, and we must join battle with it. Using the experience from our quest, we grab the boomerang and begin cutting the strings of this dark facade. As we do, the puppet... Limp hangs limply, and we see its tail contains a large blue sphere. Sensing a weak spot, we use our new light arrows to pierce the sphere, and as we do, the entire puppet writhes with pure light and obvious pain. So we settle into the rhythm of the fight. Dodge the blows, cut the strings, shoot the tail. On and on it goes until the puppet, until the puppet ascends to the ceiling. But instead of defeat, it changes shape to embody a giant spider that attempts to crush us beneath its girth. As we maneuver around the room, we find that we must position ourselves behind the spider to shoot the blue sphere before it reascends to the ceiling. After some trial and error, we once again force the puppet to retreat. This time it comes down as a hairy snake-like creature that slithers along the floor of the arena in a hectic pattern at incredible speeds. It takes all of our skill to hit this moving target, but after three hits, the puppet finally ascends and explodes in a shower of fire and sparks. Ganondorf looks down from the chandelier at the top of the towering room. As we stand in the water, utterly exhausted from our fight with his various marionettes, he says, Yes, surely you are the hero of time reborn. Your time has come. Come now and stand before me. He ascends by magic through the roof, the unconscious Zelda still in hand. Luckily, the string from the puppet still reaches the floor, so we climb up to the top where Ganondorf was standing and begin the manual climb to the roof of the tower. Our handy grapple hook allows us to ascend the many levels of the wooden edifice and reach the outer door. Once we exit onto the roof, we see Ganondorf standing there atop this tall tower. And below us, we can see the entirety of the abandoned kingdom of Hyrule laid out at our feet. The ruin of the land around hides what must have been a truly grand kingdom in ancient times. And as our exhaustion from the fight and the long climb continues to mount, Ganondorf continues his monologue. My country lay in a vast desert. When the sun rose in the sky, a burning wind punished my lands, searing the world. And when the moon climbed into the dark of night, a fridge gale pierced our homes. No matter when it came, the wind carried the same thing. Death. But the wind that blew across the green fields of Hyrule brought something other than suffering and ruin. I coveted that wind, I suppose. It can only be called fate that here I would again gather the three with the crests, that I should lay my hands on that which grants the wishes of the beholder. 
that when power, wisdom, and courage come together, the gods would have no choice but to come down. The power of the gods, the Triforce. He who touches it will have whatever he desires granted. Already the the crest of wisdom is mine. And now all that remains. And with that said, Ganondorf turns slowly to face us, and with a movement as swift as the wind he speaks of, attacks and incapacitates us with ease. In our exhaustion, our raised shield does nothing to stop his powerful blows, and the master sword is cast from our hands, and Ganondorf grasps us by the left hand and lifts us into the air. Do not fear, I will not kill you. I merely need the power of the god that dwells within you. Now let us put an end to that which binds us together. And as we lay hanging limply in his grasp, the hands of Zelda, Ganondorf, and our own hand begin to glow in unison. From each of us, a golden triangle appears, and the three pieces coalesce into the completed Triforce. It hovers in midair, awaiting a hand to touch it and a wish to be placed upon it. And as we lay on the ground, helpless and defeated, we hear Ganondorf begin to call out his wish to the gods. Expose this land to the rays of the sun once more. Let them burn forth. Give Hyrule to me. But another voice rings out from the place that the Triforce rests. A voice that is familiar to us, but that shouldn't be here. He who touches it will have whatever he desires granted. That is what you said, is it not, Ganondorf? King Daphne Snohansen Hyrule stands defiantly before the towering figure of the King of Evil. In human form once more, the ancient king stands before his foe with his hand firmly placed upon the sacred Triforce, his red robes and full white beard flowing in the wind on the top of the tower. This regal man stands to usurp Ganondorf's wish. Gods of the Triforce, hear that which I desire. Hope! I desire hope for these children. Give them a future. Wash away this ancient land of Hyrule and let a ray of hope shine on the future of this world. And let our destinies finally be fulfilled. Ganondorf, may you drown with Hyrule. With the ancient king's wish spoken, the Triforce pulses with sacred light and breaks apart, scattering to the ends of the earth. As it does, the sunken kingdom begins to shake, and the water that is suspended above it begins to fall in a torrent of unceasing rain. Ganondorf begins to laugh, an evil laugh that betrays his madness. The rain and wind and lightning pound at our face as life begins to flood our body once again. The weariness and exhaustion seems to flee with each drop of the salty water, and we rise from the ground. Next to us, we see Zelda doing the same, stirring for the first time since we saw her on her bed. Ganondorf scoffs at the king's wish, but from behind us we hear Zelda cry out as she rises with the Master Sword in hand. What are you laughing at, Ganondorf? You're insane. Link, I'm sorry I overslept, but I think it's time for us to say goodbye to this place. We must return to the world above, back to our ocean. She winks slyly at us, a gesture more suited to Tetra than to Zelda, and hands us the Master Sword. Ganondorf, however, seems keen on preventing us from doing any such thing, and promises to show us his vision of what our future holds. He summons his twin swords and turns to do battle, a vicious and insane smile on his face and bloodlust in his eyes. 
and as battle with the evil king is joined, Zelda grabs the bow and light arrows from us and moves to the edge of the arena to cover us from afar. Ganondorf flies at us from across the arena, and even with his immense size, proves to be a swift and accurate swordsman. His blows are powerful, fast, and his defense is comprehensive. He uses many of our own moves against us, like dodges and parries, and blocks our own attempts at the same. After a furious exchange of blows, Zelda lands a hit with the light arrows and stuns the evil king, allowing us to land some crucial hits with the Master Sword. Ganondorf jumps across the arena to Zelda and swats her aside, but before he can finish her off, we join the battle again. Zelda gets to her feet and says, Link, you know what to do, before beginning to shoot light arrows once more. Not really knowing what it is that she wants us to do, we continue to strike at Ganondorf, but not a single blow lands. He even dodges all the light arrows that Zelda is volleying at him. Finally, we get the idea that Zelda wants to use the mirror shield to reflect a light arrow at Ganondorf that he can't dodge. So we position ourselves carefully and do just that. After landing a flurry of blows from the Master Sword, Ganondorf launches us high into the air. We come down and use the momentum to our advantage, driving the Sacred Blade deep into the very head of the Evil King. Ganondorf stands in repose, arms by his side, jaw quivering, with the blade of evil's bane protruding from his brow, hilt towards the sky. As we watch, he speaks his last words. The wind, it is blowing. Before he turns to stone. Ganondorf, the king of evil from the ancient world, is defeated. And as we collapse into Zelda's arms from exhaustion, King Daphnis approaches us. My children, I have lived regretting the past, and I have faced those regrets. If only I could do things over again. Not a day of my life has gone by without my thoughts turning to my kingdom of old. I have lived bound to Hyrule, and in that sense, I was the same as Ganondorf. But you, I want you to live for the future. There may be nothing left for you here, but despite that, you must look forward and walk a path of hope, trusting that it will sustain you when darkness comes. Farewell. This is the only world your ancestors were able to leave you. Please forgive us. Zelda begs the king to come with us, to continue to live above the waves and guide us as we search for another land, a land that will be the next Hyrule. King Daphne's looks at her and smiles. Ah, but child, that land will not be Hyrule. It will be your land. With those words, the sea finally comes crashing down upon the top of the tower. But instead of the crushing weight and suffocating water, we find ourselves encased in a magical protection. As we begin floating towards the surface of the water, we see Zelda in a similar situation, and she floats on above us. But as we look back to the top of the tower, we see the stone statue of Ganondorf and the solitary figure of King Daphne Snohansen Hyrule. We reach out for our friend and guide, trying to drag him with us to the surface and away from certain death. He briefly reaches toward us, but in the end he turns his eyes down upon his kingdom 
and surrenders to the fate of his wish. He chooses to be washed away with the past and remain there with it. Sunlight and warmth bring us out of unconsciousness. The waves undulating and the seagull's cries bring us around, and we see Tetra beside us, no longer clothed like a princess of old, but once again, the pirate captain who started us on this journey. The familiar figure of Prince Komali flies down before us, grinning from ear to ear, and behind him, the pirate ship is sailing towards us with Errol, crew, Medley, and Makar en route to save us from the sea. Tetra winks at us in victory, but it is, it is the familiar voice of Errol that truly brings us to be rooted in this moment of victory. While the quest to defeat Ganondorf and save the Great Sea from his evil is over, our new quest is just beginning. We have taken the king's charge to heart, and after carving ourselves a new ship in the shape of the King of Red Lions, we head off across the Great Sea with Tetra and her pirates to find this new land. We leave behind our home of Outset Island once more, but this time we head off to find the hope that King Daphnis spoke of, and to bring that hope to all the people of the Great Sea. The hope of a prosperous future. done as always matt let's get into part two which is our takes where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel okay meanwhile gatsby just ran sprinting right past us and uh, got up on his producer's couch so <laughs> gatsby the producer don't know what's going on with that but well he's overseeing the production that's his job we, we pay him well for it in kibbles all right so there's a lot a lot to talk about here and I'm kind of struggling to decide where is maybe the best place to start. Um, I, I feel like we should really talk about the plot and the narrative and everything that kind of goes into that and then talk about the actual structure of the gameplay secondary. Um, so with all that being said, Max, I, I know you said that this section of game has got a lot of emotional resonance for you. And I, I want to open up the floor to you to kind of tell us all about that like your, your feelings about the ending of this game yeah um uh, do you, how much do you want me to get into the actual finale right now i mean feel, feel like open open season here okay just whatever i want to talk right about. into it yep so uh the wind waker probably has my favorite storytelling of any zelda game uh Hard to compare to like Majora's Mask and Link's Awakening because they're a whole whole other ball game over there. But um, of the main series games, it's my favorite. Uh, and most of that comes down to Ganon, the character of Ganondorf and the character of Daphnis, Nohans, and Hyrule, um, who are foils of each other, right? Like they're th these two old men, basically, that we meet over the course of the story of this game. They're both people from ancient Hyrule uh, and they both love Hyrule. Um, 
Yeah. And they, they both, uh, and, and to me, the wind waker is a story of how these two characters dealt with loss in opposite ways. They're each a foil to each other, right? Ganondorf coveted Hyrule. Uh, he coveted that wind, right? And, uh, and to him, it was about possession and he couldn't let go when Hyrule was lost. Um, he was obsessed with getting it back. And Daphnis also loved Hyrule. Um, and it's a little bit, it, there's kind of maybe this hints that like earlier on, he probably did want to restore Hyrule. He certainly like wanted to work with the Deku tree and stuff to, to raise the land out of the sea again. Um, but in the end, he makes the opposite choice, which is that he lets go of the Hyrule that he loves because he cares more about these children that he's shepherded and one of them's his descendant theoretically. Um, and to me, that's like just this very uh, evocative storytelling that happens at the end here where they're, they really put these two characters juxtaposed against each other. Um, and Ganondorf in particular, like this is the only, this is kind of the one and only Zelda humanized to, to much of an extent at all. Like, you really uh, sympathize with Ganondorf's goals here, right? Like, I remember the first time I played this, and honestly, every time I've played it since, I'm going through the ending here, and I'm like, I do want him to bring Hyrule back. His wish isn't so bad, right? Like, expose the land of the rays of the sun once more. Like, I want that as a fan yeah. of Hyrule. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that's exactly what you and I were talking about in the episode where we first go to underwater Hyrule. Yep. Yeah, and that's why that's why I asked you that question. Uh, <laughs> um, I see what you did there. <laughs> it was a setup all along. <laughs> um, so just, the, it's kind of, you know, there's some nuance in all that, right? But, like, I love this interplay of these surprisingly complex characters dealing with this surprisingly complex for a Zelda game emotion of like giving up on the, the memories of the past in favor of the future or not in Gandorf's case. Um, and it's almost like Link and Zelda are Link and Tetra for are like side characters in this final narrative, which is a little weird, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I I can definitely see that. I think to me, one of the things that made this whole section of the game feel so emotionally affecting was that 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 juxtaposition between two major characters who are not characters that we typically see a lot of depth and like a, a lot of characterization from, right? I mean, the Zelda series isn't one that that technically usually gives a lot of its main characters much pathos, you know? Um but when we do get it and when it's done well, I feel like it's very effective. And one of those characters, like you were mentioning, Max, that I think has been long overdue for some of that is Ganondorf. And I think especially in hindsight, knowing what we know now about Ganondorf from a lore standpoint, about how he is the the reincarnation of Demise's curse and he's, you know, he's basically fated to continue reappearing in Hyrule, you know, forever. Which um, we know you love. Yeah. Uh, in, in order to, in order to like plague the hero basically. So like we, we know that larger lore about Ganondorf and 
I think one of the reasons that maybe, if I'm remembering correctly, one of the reasons that you always sort of disliked that plot element, Max, is because it sort of, it, it can remove some of Ganondorf's agency as a character. But I think what happens here in this section of the game shows that even within that, and granted, this was not like a concept that was thought of at the time that this game was made. So maybe there's a little bit more credit that I'm giving to it than it really deserves. But I I think that there's a lot of room for Ganondorf as a character to have agency and to have his own motivations and everything, even within that, that overall structure of, of who he is as a character, you know? Yeah. Uh, So first of all, you are correct. That is why I dislike the demise what to me feels like a retcon, the demise retcon for the series. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I'm kind of able to ignore that in the context of the Wind Waker. Like, I know in the back of my head that there's that greater context, but to me, it's not really part of the Wind Waker story. Um, I know a lot of people derive extra additional enjoyment from that greater context. Uh, you know, thinking about how what they're seeing in front of them and the game they're currently playing connects to other games. That is a source of enjoyment for a lot of people. Um, but it often is not for me. But that's okay. I can turn it off in my yep. head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and to talk more about kind of, I, I think, not necessarily the point that's being made here, but the very intentional choice that was made on the part of the story team and, and the story that this game was finally telling, which is one of being willing to let the past go and to let it die. Yeah. And to, and to forge a new path forward. Like as Matt just alluded to, to quote of, to quote a, uh, a line, Star Wars movie, to quote a line from a masterpiece of a Star Wars film, uh, you know, let the past go, kill it if you have to. Um, and, I think, and I don't have we talked about the Last Jedi on this podcast before? I love the Last Jedi. Matt doesn't like it. Oh um, wait, that was from the Last Jedi. I thought that was from Scott yeah, Walker. that's from the Last Jedi. Oh, I, I, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> let let the past die. Kill it if you have to. And I actually kind of like what this is doing for similar reasons, just because, especially in in this modern age of almost immediate wish fulfillment on the like the indefinite extension of fictional properties, right? Um, It's sometimes refreshing for a story to be told in which it's comfortable moving into something new and and, and cutting free of, I guess, that warm comfort blanket of the story that you knew previously. I don't think that that's that's something that every fictional story needs to do in order to be satisfying, but I think that it can be very satisfying, and I, I think that it is here. Um, I think that when this game ends, it's moving into what I think is a very intriguing place uh, of, you know, Link and Tetra, you know, striking out to try and find a a new land to settle. Um, And especially knowing that we have some games coming up that are direct sequels to this, it it makes me even more excited to go explore those. What's interesting to me, though, is that aside from those games, as bold of a story choice as this is – it still is fairly inconsequential in the greater canon of Zelda games simply because the adult timeline is not one that we... Is like this game and then the sequels to this game and that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like this isn't something that's been... And, and I'm not even necessarily saying that it's something that needs to be revisited. I'm not over here saying like I need a new 
mainline 3D game set in the adult timeline and whatever new land they find or whatever. But I just think that the structure of the Zelda series is so interesting because it allows this to have a lot of impact, but to also simultaneously mean almost nothing, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I think for me, one of the huge impacts was giving Ganondorf that context of I wanted Hyrule because I was tired of seeing my people live in this arid wasteland. Or, and like I don't, I know he didn't say he wanted it for his people. It sounded like he wanted it for himself. But if you come at it from the standpoint of a monarch, which is what he was, he was the king of the Gerudo. Like wanting that and coveting just a place that isn't trying to kill you twenty four seven. Like yeah. giving Ganondorf a motive outside of just the desire for conquest was an interesting choice. Yeah, especially knowing that this is the Ganondorf from the Ocarina of Time. Um. The little bit where he says, you are truly the hero of time reincarnated. That was incredibly cool. Um, Like this, for me, the main character of this entire final finale was Ganondorf. And like King Boss for or King Daphne's as well. Like, like you said, Max, it's really Link and Zelda or Link and Tetra are just there to facilitate Ganondorf's death. And that's it. They're not. Link doesn't wish on the Triforce. Yeah. Daphne's does. And like it, Link fights Ganondorf because Ganondorf attacks him, not because Link's trying to protect anything at mm-hmm. this point. Like Ganondorf has can't do anything anymore. The, the Triforce has been wished upon. There's nothing to be done anymore. Now it's going to go separate into its three pieces and go back to the sacred realm. Yeah, like, it's, it's it, interesting. It's I think this might be the only final boss where the only stakes left are the lives of the characters there. Yeah. The land's already decided. Like, <laughs> yeah, the greater fate of Hyrule's already decided at that point. Yeah, there's nothing left except Ganondorf just being. And Tetra says that he's insane, and and maybe he is now that his entire plan has been foiled right before his eyes. It was within his reach, but Daphne's beat him to it by you know a foot and a half. Like, man, he probably did lose his mind a little bit. Imagine and, the frustration. Um, yeah, seriously, I would have been furious. And it's so crazy because I think in in a show or movie that has a little bit more maturity, I guess, um, just it just in terms of like, I don't know, or, or at least more realism in the, in terms of its storytelling. Right. We would be having a greater discussion right now about, you know, to what extent is it appropriate to try and empathize with like homicidal, genocidal, evil characters, you know? Um, because this is Zelda and it's all kind of sort of, sort of cartoonish, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I I think it's a little bit less uncomfortable to, to sort of pick this apart a little bit and to maybe empathize with Ganondorf. Um, but it's still, it still leaves me kind of thinking like, you know, yes, I think this is a cool trick where it sort of makes you feel a little sorry for him. His little monologue is definitely relatable i think mm-hmm. in, in a very big way i think it's some great writing for that character but at the same time you sort of have to wonder like even even within that like his motives are not pure no. right like and you know that because what he has done in the past knowing that this comes from the adult timeline ganondorf when he is in control of everything he just fills it with monsters so it's still just a place that's going to kill you so yeah. like uh, he he spoils the land anyway and whether that is whether that is what is the incarnation of demise's curse i think is probably more apt than like you have to in some ways what i do with my head canon is like ganondorf is who he is and then 
like once that power to affect that change is like within his grasp, that's when like the nature of the the curse comes out and he just can't help himself from being a power hungry egomaniac. Yeah. And like that's why when he touches the Triforce, it corrupts the land like it's it's not. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. There's there's some there's some nuance there. Um, also, he could just totally be insane from his thousands, theoretically thousands of years in uh, captivity. And um, yeah, I mean, actions speak louder than words, whether yeah. or not you covet the wind because it's green and, and cooling instead of arid. Like, why do you fill it with monsters and just try to kill everybody? Then? Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because it has me considering the timeline of this character a little bit. We know that after the events of Ocarina of Time, he was sealed in the sacred realm for quite a while. And then I believe the the lore of the Wind Waker says that he broke out and, you know, obviously reinvaded Hyrule and and that's what caused uh that's what caused the people of Hyrule to appeal to the gods who then flooded it. So I guess it the way that this worked is that he was just he was basically just sealed under the sea for hundreds of years. No, this was right? before the sea was Oh, no, you after, mean, after, yes, okay, after yeah, Hyrule yeah, yeah. is flooded, he's not he's not sealed in the sacred realm again or anything. No, he's, yeah, he's under the sea. Yeah, he's sealed under the sea. So were he and and Daphnis just like down there together for hundreds of years? Or I'm unclear on what happened to Daphnis and how he became the boat, and also how he became a human again. Like, what? When does that happen? Yeah, my impression has always been that he wandered as a boat for like a thousand years, but I don't that's know if that's what I thought too. Yeah, all the fishmen know him, and so do all of the gods, the Deku tree and the uh, great fish and the everybody else. Valu, they all know him. To me, the interesting thing to where my mind kind of goes with this is that, like, yes, the king of red lions basically was roaming the great sea as a demigod, and. You know, for those hundreds or thousands of years or whatever. Um, and I think that that's really cool, you know, knowing that knowing that he was kind of in fellowship with all these other remnants of the old kingdom for that entire time, just waiting for a hero to appear. I think that gives a lot of extra meaning and and depth to his character and adds a lot to his motivations and our sympathy for him. Um, and then, you know, if Ganondorf is also sealed below the sea for that entire time, we know at some point he was able to create that portal and to ascend back to the surface. So I guess it stands to reason that he was basically just down there by himself going insane that whole time. Yeah. And also, now that we know that you can get past the barrier that protected Hyrule Castle, I would only assume that he was living in his tower that whole time or in the remnants of the ruined land of Hyrule, more or less by himself. And uh, that's where he constructed that tower and eventually created the portal because he couldn't get into Hyrule Castle. Otherwise, he would have freed all of his minions that were in there and tried to get beneath the statue of the hero a lot longer than a lot earlier than he did. He had a few thousand years to refine his puppet making skills. Yeah, no, man. It's it's a little bit unclear exactly how much of underwater Hyrule was frozen by the seal. Right. Was it just the bubbler on Hyrule Castle or was it all of underwater Hyrule? It's kind of not. Not sure about that. Sorry, I have a tangent here. It's not related to the story, but I, a quote I recently found. Um, Did you know gaming actually found this from like an old Nintendo Dream interview that hasn't been translated by anyone but them. Um, but they have a quote from Alnuma where he says that if they had had more time, their original plan was to do a pull a link to the past and have you go an underwater Hyrule and explore around down there. Um, 
which maybe puts puts some of my claims about how the technology of the open world works uh, to the test here. But <laughs> uh, it makes me sad that Blind Waker is only a two and a half year development cycle, by far the shortest other than Majora's Mask of any of the 3D Zeldas. Well, it really does make you wonder. I mean, obviously, Nintendo has a very, very different uh, ethos now about how long it should take for them to release mainline entries in this series, right? Um, like we we say, being now, what, five years out from Breath of the Wild's release uh, before we get to Tears of the Kingdom. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, Max. I would, I'm very intrigued by the idea of this game being made by a Nintendo of today who's totally comfortable taking five, six years to to make a game. Um, and, it, you know, I, I love this game and I love the final product that it is, but it's hard not to be just a little disappointed that we didn't get to see that version of it, especially given that that whole dual world dynamic is pretty uh you know it, it's a very big part of this series on an ongoing basis and i know that it it typically is a little bit more associated with the top-down games uh than the 3d games but i i would really have loved to have seen a version of that done here and think it could be really cool um obviously that was never to be i mean we were <laughs> you know we didn't even get all the all the above the sea dungeons that they were originally planning for this game so yeah. it was never going to happen but yeah um, one, one last thing I want to say about Ganondorf as a character real quick here is that I just think it's – this is a really big moment because essentially we're seeing the end of the version of Ganon that we are the most familiar with in the whole series, I, I think. Like tell me if that's if that's kind of an unfair thing to say or if you think we get to know another version better. But I think to most people, this is this is kind of the Ganondorf slash – Ganon like this is sort of the main one in the way that the hero of time has kind of become the the most prominent version of Link and from that perspective I think it's very interesting to see his arc end right like we a lot of these big characters in these games especially Zeldas and Links they go through their game and then they like we end the game and then we get some sense of what they're off to do next but we don't really get much of a complete arc for for any of the main three characters ever mm-hmm. um and we absolutely get one here and i think that that's he did yeah he's dead he's very dead um and yeah. I, I i think that that's really nice we see his beginning as a human and his death here across two games which is the only time we see like a characterized has a personality is is human is you know has human motivations ganon across two games like that yeah, yeah, totally and, agree. And I guess you well, can also well, the, 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 this, this is a little complicated because technically the Ganondorf of Twilight, Twilight Princess, Princess is also this thing. one, yeah. but like, yeah, but he's pretty demonic at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, goes full uh, evil boar mode in that one, also. Very, very little in the way of redeeming qualities for that incarnation. He, of he also Ganondorf. does his whole disembodied head uh, Andros thing. Uh, oh, oh yeah. I hate that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's awful. Mm. Uh, looking forward to it. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but regardless, I think uh, now that we've kind of talked, we've talked about Ganondorf, we've talked about King Daphnis. Um, I don't know. Let, let's just spend. Let's, well, hold on. I want to also say I love Zelda feeling like Tetra again. That ending where she's 
back to winking and she's back to being mischievous and she's shooting Ganondorf with light arrows. Like getting Tetra back in Zelda form was very satisfying. I really, really, really liked that. Well, and I'm glad to hear you say that. I felt the same way. It is interesting because now when you look back on her overall trajectory throughout the game, that moment when she becomes Zelda that you felt like she was kind of being portrayed as out of character mm-hmm. for her. Yeah. That's that's kind of a blip yeah. on the whole thing, right? I like, would agree. That was a very that was a very short moment uh that never really recurred again. But I, I think mostly because we just didn't actually see her again. But <laughs> until now moment, I know this is like out tangent at this point, but the problem I've always had with that moment is that um after that moment she never has agency in the story again. She never like makes a choice that affects anything. Whereas before yeah. that, she's making choices left and right, doing like leading her pirates actively doing things taking action like the tetra we knew would never have agreed to just stay behind in hyrule where da- well daphne's and link went off like, yeah you're absolutely right so out of character for her to me yeah even if she i, I totally agree totally agree yeah um so anyway Lyndon, you were trying to transition us to a talking about the overall <laughs> section of the game so i'm gonna let you do that now okay well i appreciate that very much and i mean the thing is i don't know how much there is to say about the overall section of this game without talking about the dungeon because we pretty much just kind of go straight here you know yeah i will say just before we get into dungeon um going back to the tower of the gods that is such a cool set piece like sailing towards it from the nearest fast travel point. Actually, I didn't even fast travel to it. I just started on Windfall Island and I was like, I'm going to sail yeah. there. Yeah. Um, like seeing it in the distance, sailing up to it, getting a, like I even sailed around it just for a while. Just like, man, this is a really, really cool piece of architecture that was put in this game. And I really like it and I dig it and it feels grand. It feels like a piece of old Hyrule while simultaneously feeling like a piece of the Wind Waker world. I don't know how they did that balance, but they did. And it it just felt amazing. Um, Sailing up to the point where you descend into Hyrule again. um, And then uh, King of Red Lions does the title drop on you. (laughs) Surely you will be known as the hero of the winds. Like, oh, all right. Thanks, man. (laughs) The wind waker. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad that I'm glad the wiki has something to call us now. Yeah, seriously. So um, I I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Um, I don't know the the speech was a little ostentatious and ham and cheese for me a little bit, but you know, he's, he's an ancient King from a, a an ancient time. And I'm sure he's given to ostentation on occasion. So he's got a little lingering pomposity. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He does. And I, you know what, based on his outfit, I can see why. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally agree. Tower of the gods, amazing piece of Zelda architecture. Oh, I yeah. did have one more thing. Sorry. No, no, no. No, uh, no we, we don't necessarily need to move on. I'm, I'm glad to hang here as long as we have stuff to talk about. Uh, so we talked a little bit about how, you know, Ganon has these cool moments at the at the finale and top of the tower. Um, but I also really love the little speech he gives when you first get into the, the puppet Ganon chamber. Um, and he says he's he's like angry about how everyone's like satisfied with the great sea right he like he kind of does a little rant uh what's i love this quote he says something like uh yeah scattered like fallen leaves on a forgotten pool um love that line so much uh, and then he, he yells like your gods destroyed you um and internally as a player i'm thinking yes you're right ganondorf <laughs> 
Oh, uh, like I thought the same thing when he said that he was, I was, he was like, you prayed to the gods to save you and they destroyed you instead. I'm sitting there like, he's not wrong. That's almost exactly what happened. They saved a handful of people that like were happened to be on the mountaintops or maybe they did a whole Moses thing where they were like, you know, take a leader and get your people to the mountain and blah. Like, I don't know, but they genocided like most of Hyrule and like everybody's just seems kind of okay with that as a solution. And back to Max's point of uh it's, it's the, the water dragon's it's fault. The God, it's the god it's the water dragon's fault. It's all the water dragon's fault. We're still blaming her. She's just bad at her job. I was gonna I was gonna say the the goddesses of Hyrule had their had their uh Noah Noah's Ark yeah, moment. Yeah, they totally but, had uh, a Noah's Ark moment. But uh but yeah, I think Let's just chalk it up to the water dragon. I think. Uh, I think. So- I think someone let the water dragon open the tap again, and it all just went. <laughs> That's such a bad idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just wanted to do a shout out to that moment because I love it. Yeah, well, and it's so interesting because, like, the way that Ganondorf is kind of talking about Tetra in that moment and like the way that he's like sitting over her bed and whatnot. It's like and hasn't killed her. Well, it's it's a weird moment where. Again, it feels like he's just got a little bit more humanity than we normally get from him. Mm-hmm. And I want more of that. I mean, yeah. I don't know to what extent we're going to get more Ganondorf in the series uh, from from this point out. I've got to believe he'll show up again in some way or form or fashion. But if that ever was going to happen, because we've gotten we've gotten other enemies who have pathos and who have greater depths of character right but they're usually one-offs you know you've you've got your skull kids right um you know zant is kind of does i mean until he went nuts yeah sure but uh but uh but for ganondorf specifically i just i want more of this i want Mm -hmm. more of him as an interesting character well and his whole body language in the in zelda's chamber is very anti to everything we've ever seen from him before he almost is like protective of her in a weird way where he's like link like don't wake her up and he like he isn't trying to ritual sacrifice her which most other most every other ganon is always trying to do to zelda is some kind of a ritual sacrifice i feel like that's the the very base level of interaction we can hope for between people (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're not trying to ritual sacrifice you yeah and like even when he has us totally beaten and defeated He's got Zelda and he's got Link and neither of them are armed. Both of them are more or less unconscious. He's got his hand around Link's uh, hand instead of his throat. All he's trying to do is take the Triforce and he's not trying to kill anybody. He literally says he's not going to kill Link. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to kill either of you. I just want your piece of Triforce. Like, what? I think the implication is that if he killed you, he wouldn't be able to get your Triforce. Oh, okay. Well, oh, I didn't take that implication, but if you're right, then maybe I retract most of what I just said. I mean, but your, your I point know. overall is still correct that he's, you know, he's he's acting in a very anti. Uh, well, I think way. that there's a way, and again, I'm I'm maybe just maybe this is headcanon, and maybe I'm putting more into this than is actually there. But to me, all of these moments together made it seem like this version of Ganondorf after all these years, like we were saying earlier, he, he misses Hyrule. He wants Hyrule back. And to him, I can see it being a situation where Zelda and Link are just like a 
they're they're just a part of his world and life there you know like they're a part there's of, no hyrule without zelda yeah like they're a part they're a part of his story like they're all bound in it together and he just wants it all back and i think that that's a very interesting concept like mm-hmm. it, it definitely is a step above i'm doing villain shit for evil reasons you know yeah he still ultimately you know murders a whole island and stuff but he's he's you know he's more restrained yeah. That's true. He's he's not uh, again. The lack of ritual sacrifice stands out. Um, It's all we'll say. One quick (laughs) thing worth throwing out. We're talking about the story is there were two script and event planning uh, directors basically on Wind Waker. Um, So and one of those two was Mitsuhiro Takano. And the only other Zelda game he wrote for was Majora's Mask. Ah, look at him. Return of the King. (laughs) <laughs> we just saw that movie the other day we just we did just see that movie the other day no well that that's actually not hard to it's not hard to see the connective tissue in his style between the two games um he does inject shades of gray well shades shades of gray and also uh also a lot of emotion and a lot of very authentic feeling motivation yeah, you get a lot of you get a lot of pathos out of Ganondorf's body language and facial expressions, as well as the way that he moves. And um, obviously, Link is very expressive in The Wind Waker in some ways good and in some ways not so good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely a lot of pathos in all of these characters. So I am of the opinion and I realize that not everybody might feel this way, but but how I feel about the Legend of Zelda series as a whole is that it should always be at its base largely archetypal in its storytelling, right? I, I don't think – like I, I don't need The Legend of Zelda to be The Last of Us, you know? For sure. Um, I don't need it to be Red Dead Redemption. Those games um, are great, but not yeah. what I want out of my Zelda. But I think that especially – so those those two examples right there, Majora's Mask and then a lot of the stuff that happens in this game, I think it really shows – and even Breath of the Wild kind of was this way – I feel like it really shows that there is room to be archetypal and to still kind of maintain your hero's journey sort of structure uh, and, and, and build more emotion and feeling within that structure. I think that that's definitely possible. And, uh, you know, I like to believe that as, you know, especially as games as a medium get more mature and grow and techniques become more advanced and there's more opportunity to do more things. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that is the direction that the series is going in. If Breath of the Wild is anything to judge by, because Zelda's story in that game had a lot of what I'm talking about here, you know, very archetypal trappings. Right. But like still a lot of a lot of emotion and and pathos to be had there. Uh, and I just I really hope that that I really hope that that continues. I would be I would be sad if it ever got overly simplified again. I don't think it will, but nah. I think I think we're at an age of storytelling in games, so that'll be hard to go backwards to. But I really hope it doesn't go too much. Is I is I guess what I'm saying? Yeah, th- there's got to be a balance. Yeah, agreed. Cool. Uh, does anybody have anything else they want to say just generally about this section of game before we move on? From well, here? I'll let you be the judge of whether or not this belongs here in next week's episode is do we think Daphne's Hyrule started out with the same motivation as Ganondorf or no, like, that belongs here. OK, like in Max, you touched on it very briefly, but I kind of want to flesh it out a little bit more like at the beginning of the game, King of Red Lions almost felt like he was using Link as a means to an end. And 
it it feels like here at the end of the journey he has decided that okay link is not just a tool to get what i want which is the reintegration or the restructure or the um the rebreath of uh hyrule my kingdom because it feels like that's what he really wanted at the beginning of it. He wanted exactly what Ganondorf wanted, but under his rule instead of Ganondorf's rule. And he was using Link to do that. And it feels like at the end here, when he looks at Zelda and Link, he kind of reneges on that and decides to be of the opinion that I had my time and my time is over and it's now time for the future. Am, am I off base in that? Am, am I am I ascribing too sinister of a motivation to him at the beginning of the game? Or what, what do you guys think? I don't I don't think you are. I think that's accurate. The difference is that the King of Red Lions, you know, King King Daphne's comes to know Link and Tetra. And that like I think he is a, he is a more benevolent character at base than Ganondorf. And that's what makes the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he definitely is using Link. It's the first half of the game. Right, he has all these discussions in languages Link can't speak with ancient spirits, and he doesn't tell Link the nature of the Master Sword or his own role as King of Hyrule or anything. Even after having Link go down and getting the Master Sword, like he still doesn't explain what the hell's going on at that point. Right? It's only after Link is defeated by Ganondorf and has to be saved that he actually opens up. Um, and even then it's kind of like he's opening up because he has to, because now this information is required. Uh, so I think we're supposed to see this moment where he touches the Triforce as a pivotal, pivot, eh, pivotal character moment for him. Like he, this is where he has his, he commits to the good course he wants of, of the ending, um, that we see like. I think that's the implied character arc here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, everything that you, you said, Max is really exactly what I was thinking and what led me to that train of thought, especially the, you know, the type of person that has a conversation when they know someone else in the room can't hear it. It's like someone speaking in a non-native language. Like if you're a fluent Spanish speaker, but you know, you're surrounded by English speakers and you want to say something that, you know, they won't understand. It almost always means you're <laughs> them or saying something that they, they don't want, like you're sharing a piece of information that you don't want everyone else to have. And that's almost never a good thing. Yeah. So like throughout the whole first half of this game, I really didn't trust Daphne is that much and I was like he's got some motive that he doesn't want me to know about and I don't know what it is and in that moment when he had the opportunity I feel like yeah, I've, it's all it was good written to me. across his face that he was having a true struggle internally about I can finally have what it is that I want and what I've been working for for a thousand years I've been trapped as this stupid boat and I'm a king. It's <laughs> a stupid boat. I'm, I'm a, I've been a stupid boat for a thousand years, and I'm supposed to be the king of the most powerful nation in the known world, and I can have that back. And the fact that he doesn't manifest that and instead chooses to give the future uh, with Link and Tetra was was pretty amazing and pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll end the plot section with one question for you, Matt. Sure. Are you excited? 
are you more excited now to play Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks than you were previously, given the way that this game ends? Yeah, absolutely more excited. I think that I still there there are some base things that I sort of know about those games. That, are you over here like, oh, it's easy to be more excited than zero? Yeah, well, that yes. <laughs> the negative excitement has turned into a, a net positive, but it's a it's a non-zero. It's a non-zero. Yeah, it's a non-zero sum now. So that that's good. Um yeah, I think there's there's definitely opportunity for interesting things, right? And I think some of that comes even from last week where we rediscovered the uh or we discovered the traveling merchants who come from a faraway land. Like, oh, there are other places on the Great Sea where people live. Like that would be cool to go see those places. Very Arya, very Arya Stark at the end of Game of Thrones. Like, let's go see what's out there. And that's kind of cool. Um, I would almost like a game about that more than what I know Spirit Tracks and Phantom Hourglass to be. But um, I think Phantom Hourglass is about that. I could it? be wrong. I don't I know. know. Uh, maybe I'm misconstruing. I don't I know. I've never played it, so yeah, I'm, I'm the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I have played like two thirds of it and I don't remember. So. <laughs> We're, we're all in good company. Well, that, that bodes well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think it'll be. I, I think there is an opportunity for this to be an interesting world to explore, and I hope that those games live up to at least a partial of that potential. Cool. Can't hope for more than that. Actually, you can hope for a lot more than that. But <laughs> I guess that's not realistically. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think I think we're gonna have a fun time with those games. I really do. Okay. So with all that being said, let's move into part three, which is the dungeon map, where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. This week's dungeon is a Ganon's Tower, Ganon's Castle, final end of game dungeon. And these are always interesting conversations because I feel like we've been all over the place in terms of whether or not these are actually fun, right? Yeah, we've had bad ones and we've had good ones. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we've had really bad ones. We've had we've had some really bad ones. I think the the gold standard is still a link to the past, right? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, um, with you know some more underwhelming entries being like the. Ocarina of Times was not the not best. great. Not the best in the world. And um, then Link's Awakening, which wasn't a thing at all. Well, that's that's <laughs> just almost, a maze. Yeah, almost not even applicable. I mean, but right. like, um, but yeah, you know, we we've definitely had some not wonderful incarnations of this. You know, we've had uh, we've had the Hyrule Castle of Breath of the Wild, which is obviously oh, a whole, so amazing. Yeah, um, this to me, I'm just going to go first with my opinions here. This to me falls. Definitely in the top half. Did some ash just like. Yeah, I was afraid did, it was about the, to did burn. Did the fire just like Mount Doom yeah, on it, you? Yeah, it attacked me a little bit. It was, uh, got <laughs> do we, that off do we need some? Do we need some eagles to come pull you off the I side of the I would love mountain? an eagle to come pull me <laughs> off the ground right now. That would be pretty dope. I'd be down with that. Oh, man, that movie was so good. It's always so good. Um, Return of the King, uh, just to clarify. Anyway, so. <laughs> this one this one to me falls somewhere in the top half for sure. I don't know if I like it quite as much as A Link to the Past or Breath of the Wild, but it does do some very interesting things that are very outside of the mold of Ganon's castle sort of situations. For sure. You know, um, I, I think to me the the basement level set a expectation 
because I didn't remember very much of this. Like that's been kind of my biggest thing for this entire playthrough of The Wind Waker, which is that like I remembered broad strokes, but the details of things were kind of not really there because I just have not played this game as much as some others. Um, and when I got into the basement level and I saw that it was your classic like, oh, go go refight four bosses and then that opens a door, right? That is something that happens a fair amount in the Zelda series. And I can't say that it's ever my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there have where else does it happen? Uh, definitely happens in a Link Between Worlds. Oh, um, maybe that is only the other place. I could swear that that happens more places than just here. I feel like it does too, but I can't think of examples, so I'm like questioning myself. Yeah, it it absolutely 100 happens in Low Rule Castle. Um, but the spoiler thing is, alert. Well, sorry, but the thing is that. So in that instance, there are like actual challenging puzzle chambers that lead to the bosses. And so it's more satisfying. Um, you know, the the little the little stretches of dungeon themed area that lead to the bosses in the basement here are not challenging. They're not they're not really brain teasers in any meaningful way. And so I was initially kind of disappointed. But then we kind of get through that door and we make it into the rest of the of the castle and there's actually some really fun stuff to get up to here um i had completely forgotten about the whole situation where you end up in a labyrinth of fighting phantom ganons and you have to like rely on the positioning of their dropped swords to know which door to go through to me that's actually like a really interesting mixture of both the lost woods and the windfish's egg Mm -hmm. you know yeah oh i never made that connection but yeah it does feel i I think that so i'll i'll be honest when it started out after i fought the first boss i was like ah dang it it's one of these again it feels it felt very ocarina of time in that way and and not and not the good way well especially with the theme with the dungeon themed sections right yeah yeah that's exactly like as, as soon as i realized what it was because the first one I did was the very nice. I love that sound. The first one I did was the big ghosty boy, which was probably my least favorite boss in the whole game. Like I, just, I was trying to remember his. <laughs> I was trying to remember his name. I can't, yeah, because they don't tell you the names of the bosses. I kept, I kept trying to think. I was like, it has a J. Is it? Is it? Is it Jellico? No, that's no, the that's, 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 that's the, the bad captain from Star Trek. We don't like what him either. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kept landing in like a Jello area. Like it uh, sounds Jell-O like works. Jello. I don't remember. Uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That's what I'll call him. Okay. Yeah, from Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah sure. I think it works. Or <laughs> or Stay Puft Marshmallows. Yeah, we'll like, just call him Stay Puft Marshmallow. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, go, Big Ghosty Boy was the first one I did, and the lead up to that is just like a really scary looking crypt full of uh, re-deads and the shadow chews and like... That was actually the only fun one of these little sections. Totally 1000% agree, and like it started off and I was like, oh cool, we're having like some dungeon rehash, but it's leading into a... At the end, there's probably like, I was hoping there'd be like some more puzzly things, and then it was just like, nope, boss fight, and I was like, ugh, god damn it, not again. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if each one had just been like a, a hard melee against a bunch. Of I would have loved like that so much savage more. Savage labyrinths. I would have loved that so much more. But it's like the enemies that you fight Themed. in that dungeon. Yeah. yeah, like you run in there and you fight like three Stalfos <laughs> at the same time as some whiz robes and Redeads and Redeads and, and, and yeah. some of the some of the little ghosts that run around. I guess they're Pose. Yeah. The forest but, one has got like four Mothulas or something. Yeah, yeah. that would have been way better. Um, 
so once I like figured out that that's what this was, and then I looked at the door, obviously it like zooms in on the door and the thing glows and you can see the other three. And I was like, okay, I know what I'm about to have to do. And I really don't want to do it. And this is going to suck. And I finished it. And then you have the long hallway that leads up to the big door. And I was like, if this is really all that this is, this is going to be the bottom of my list for like ending dungeons and then it wasn't and then we did more things and it got way better and i was like ah yay (laughs) this is more fun um so like started off on a really weak note and then i guess part of it was the pleasant surprise of that not being the only thing which is putting it higher on my list of being pleasantly surprised that's fair but it had some like so yes you're absolutely right i'm not done it Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that it did. I want you to be able to express your thoughts, Matt. Thank I you. Think I think your opinions you. are important. Thank you. I appreciate Well, seeing as I'm 50% of the podcasting host uh, of the. Uh, you're 33% today. I've, of the of the recurring cast, like the standard cast, 50%, you and me. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, you are the Spock to my Captain Kirk. <laughs> I'd rather be the Riker to your Picard, but okay. <laughs> um, you want to be Captain Kirk? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be Captain I take, Kirk. I take dude. that back. I take that back. Picard, Picard for life, Sir Patrick Stewart, marry me, please, dude. I'd even be your the Kira to your Cisco. Kira's okay. awesome. All right. Um, anyway, <laughs> Star Trek tangent I'd aside, be Janeway then. Really? Actually, yeah, Janeway's <laughs> kind of awesome. I'm not gonna lie. Chakotay's not. I like Chakotay. What's wrong with Chakotay? He has. A highly problematic Native American. That was not his fault. Like, they hired a guy who claimed to be a Native American specialist who lied his ass off through the entire series. Well, it's really unfortunate in hindsight. It is. It is not his fault, though. He's still a cool character. <laughs> God, wow. wow. Where was I going with that? <laughs> anyway, um, back to Zelda. <laughs> Very far away from Star Trek. Um, the uh, So, like... A lot of things that were done really well was um, even that first room where you have to memorize the room and then go over to the to the adjacent room and hit the things in the um, right pattern. And then King of Red Lions like sails in. I was like, what? And Link's reaction was like exactly how I felt. He's like, ah! <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Maybe the only same. time in this game that you've like felt that Link's reaction was, was appropriate. Yeah, exactly. I was like, dude, what the hell? Where did you come from? And that's never explained where he came from. No idea. Still don't know how that happened. Well, he but. was he was definitely down there. Uh, and well, and we know that he can like he can go from a legsman to a, to a to a boatman to a boatman. <laughs> yeah, so, apparently at will. Do you think he has like multiple boats and he possesses them as a ghost? Ooh, well, that's the, that's, that's kind of cool. the weird thing because at the end of the game we have like the boat. I th- I think that they made that like as a tribute to him. Like my my takeaway was that they just carved that boat i got the impression that it was the same boat just non-possessed of a spirit i mean maybe you're right but i i took it as oh they like remade the king of red lions for link like they tetra and the pirates like carved that little boat for him but honestly that's more tasteful than riding the corpse (laughs) the corpse dad (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah oh, oh man, man. That's, that's that leaves a bad taste in my mouth if it's boat corpse um but i thought that that was really well done and then you're right the the section refighting phantom ganon was cool beat him really fast and i was like oh okay i guess that was it and i didn't catch onto the first time that the sword falls in the direction that you're supposed to go like i read the hint but i had no idea what it meant i just happened to guess right the first time 
And then the second time I beat him, I guessed wrong and had to fight a whole bunch of green Bokoblins, came back in, refought uh, Phantom Ganon. I actually picked up his sword and went around and hit all the doors with the sword to see if one would like light up. And then I just picked one and it happened to be right. Mm. And then the third time I realized the sword was falling in the direction of the, of the door you're supposed to go through. And like my mind was blown. I was like, Oh, that is so cool. That is so creative and innovative. And I don't know how they coded that, but like, that was really cool. I loved that. That was peak. It was awesome. So here's a, here's a good moment for our resident game designer, Max to jump in. I mean, how uh-huh. how, do, how do you feel about let so talking specifically about the Phantom Ganon gauntlet and the sword directionality and all that? I mean, is that as cool as we're thinking it was? Or yeah, I, I think it's cool. Um, so the Zelda devs have said many times that like what they tr- what they're trying to do with puzzle design is make players feel smart, right? They want players to perceive something as difficult and then solve it reliably, um, which is a hard needle to thread, right? Because um, if you if you don't feel like it's difficult, then you don't feel smart when you solve it. Um, and I think, uh, so I remember being totally stuck on this puzzle when I was a kid playing this for the first time. Uh, I probably spent like an hour trying to figure this out, maybe two. Um, that sounds like a frustrating two hours. Yeah, although at least I got to fight Phantom Ganon a bunch of times, who has awesome theme song. Now, that, 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 awesome music, oh, yeah. that music is so good. <laughs> well, because because um, it's the Ocarina of Time. St- you know, yes. I mean, yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the actual puzzle mechanic of the sword falling is pretty well done. Um, the only problem with it is it's so utterly unlike anything else in this game. Um, which doesn't have really physics-based falling puzzles. Like, that never really matters anywhere else. That it, I think a lot of people have a hard time making that jump. Um, so, like, it, it's maybe erring a little bit too far onto the hard side for a lot of their audience, especially for this game, which was skewing more towards... Well, and it's also, I, I, I think you're, you're sort of set up for failure the first time you do this, unless you've read the tablet in advance. Um, which and I know, understand what it means. Yeah, which I know the game wants you to have done. The trouble is this game has already sort of trained you to just like go pick up the weapons of your fallen enemies, right? Yeah. And as soon as you do that, the puzzle's ruined. Yeah, I, and that was what I did the first time also. As soon as it fell, I picked it up. And because I remembered the bit about the sword of the enemy below will like show the way or whatever it said. And I was like, uh, cool. So I'm going to pick up the sword and then walk through the nearest door. And hopefully that'll be the right one. And it was the right one. So (laughs) and then I tried it. You got you got the red herring solution that really threw. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really what threw me off the second time. Went and picked up the sword, walked through a door was the wrong door. And I was like, well, okay, I guess it's not that way. Just that's not how you do it. So I I will um, say from like a narrative and thematic uh, you know, perspective. This is really cool. Just being trapped in the bowels of Ganon's castle and like being unable to progress past his phantom, you know, until yeah. you figure out like that's neat. That's Pretty really cool. cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. The atmosphere here is awesome. Especially once you get into the upper levels and it, it, like this version of Ganon's tower has such a unique architecture and which is, which is uh, appropriate. Right. Because this game has a very unique visual style. Um, 
but it really bears out here and it, it creates an incarnation of something that we've seen a million times before um, and and to me made it feel very interesting and very new. So do you feel like this architecture style is unique? Because like I felt very Ganon's Castle from Ocarina of Time through most well, of it. Well, I was like looking at the, a lot of the... I, I, I'm talking a lot about the minute details here, right? Like uh-huh. a lot of the patterns on the walls and, yeah. the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I guess I was mostly looking at the overall impression the red carpeted stairs the long staircases well the that, darkly that part that part most definitely felt ocarina of time yeah Ganon's castle like that's what i was mostly looking at like the 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 pillars and the carvings are very uh spirit temple which i think is also appropriate given that ganon is a gerudo so um I, I mean, and gerudo is probably the architect for the castle yeah exa- well, exactly like i felt like it was it. i felt like it was very appropriately themed for ganondorf in this era and i felt like it was a good collaboration of ganon's castle spirit temple and uh you know uh, the bowels were a little forest temple-y um which also works because phantom ganon so mm-hmm. i felt like it was a good mishmash yeah uh and and of course you know once we get past the phantom ganon bit we have the really cool puzzle which uh is honestly felt pretty shrine like it felt kind of like a shrine in breath of the wild where you had to look at the pattern in one room and then take it to the next room and then hit it in the precise sequence with your boomerang that's always a lot of fun i never get tired of sequential boomerang switch puzzles especially in this (laughs) game it works so well i love it like I, I really I really think that that's always something that's decently fun to do, even though it's sort of like dumb, you know, puzzle design. But it's like but, it's but at least fun. here, but at least here, it's like there's an element of memory like you had to you had to memorize what was happening in another room. And then that was your solution to the puzzle. So that was all that was all a pretty good time. Um, all that is to say, if if nothing else, I think that the amount of time that you have to spend in a Ganon's castle is often uh tied to the amount that i enjoy it that's not always the case but like some of them can feel pretty brief and this one you know i i feel like i spent about as much time in here as i spent in i don't know dragon roost cavern for instance you know like i feel like my, I spent, my time investment was was good is it was kind of what i'm where i'm at with that yeah i think time investment wise i'm more close to the uh the forest place yeah. yeah it wasn't quite as long as dragon roost for me yeah so we make it up from those middle floors and we come to a multi-stage boss fight we've got the uh beginning of course with puppet ganon and its various incarnations and then we'll talk about the actual fight with ganondorf later but matt i was very curious to know what you thought of puppet ganon i thought it was visually ridiculous like it was fun. I'm not going to lie. I thought I thought the fight was really fun. I figured out very quickly about the uh, oh, he's on strings. That's like the Baronade fight. I don't even remember what the date with the other guy was called. I'm just going to call him Baronade. Cali demos. I'm going to go with Baronade light. Uh, <laughs> Baronade round two or Baronade light I, like that trains you to look at those strings and be like, oh, I need to break those. So I figured that out very quickly. What I took me a little bit longer to figure out. I was trying to use the light arrows on his mouth and then on uh, like his chest. And then I was like, oh, he's got this blue orb on his tail. Maybe I should probably shoot that. So once I figured that out, it was pretty fine. I thought the 
third round of Puppet Ganon, the snake, was the most challenging. It's Moldorm. Yeah, it's, it We've is. We've never it's had Moldorm in 3D before. It's literally Moldorm, except Ganon. And um, I thought that that was more fun than the other two. Um, the spider one was weird because it literally just goes up onto the ceiling, spins around, and then randomly drops in a certain uh, orientation. So I was like not nearly as interested in that one. But that one's so fun because you have to utilize the reflection in the water. Like that's a really neat thing. Oh, no, I just looked up. Oh, really? Yeah, I just I just went into where you can look around. Oh, dude, camp. no, what you're supposed to be able to do is so you go out into the arena and you look down and the water shows the reflection of what's above you. And so you're supposed to be able to position yourself behind him after he spins based on that. Oh, it's you can very reliably position yourself that way. It's a little easier. Yeah, the, the looking up was not nearly as foolproof. So, yeah, I wish I had figured that out earlier because that would have been cooler. But uh, no, I didn't know that. So, neat tip. I think it's cool that they they built reflective water specifically for that fight. It's never seen anywhere else in the game. I I feel like this game has a few things like that, right? Where it's like, it happens once, it's really cool, it never happens again. Um, But yeah, it's really cool here. I just, I want to go back to to the Moldorm phase real quick. Because it's just so funny. Like, in top-down Zelda games, we're so used to like... Oh, we need a filler boss. Let's throw a Moldorm in there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and like and it's like, okay, cool. That's just a convention at this point. I like it. Uh and so when I when I saw that that third phase that that's what it was, I was just like, "Oh my god, he's made it into 3D." Can't keep Moldorm down. He keeps coming back. <laughs> Definitely the hardest boss in the whole game. Yes. No well, doubt. The, I, every single time I hit that tail, I felt so good about myself. Absolutely. And my last shot to the tail, I like led him perfectly. And I was like, his tail is going to be right here. Boom. I felt like Legolas, like shooting, a, uh, shooting one of the Moomakill or something. I was like, oh my God, I hit that shot. Hell yes. It was, it was so satisfying. I... On the aesthetic of Puppet Ganon, I like it. I think it's a really well-designed boss visually. I think that – so here's something that I was thinking about as I was playing it, Matt. I had an epiphany. I really like this boss because it has this very – so a lot of the character design in this game – feels very japanese to me to me this is to me this is the most japanese feeling game of any of the 3d zelda games in terms of its style and aesthetic and its personality is that fair to say max do you do you agree Hmm. like especially in terms Uh, of like the um like like Ganondorf especially. Like I was looking at Ganondorf and like his outfit and wardrobe and the styling of his character and everything. Like there's so much – there's a lot of Japanese so, like, personality in this drawing game. Drawing a lot of inspiration from Japanese sources like Tower of the Gods and all the robots and stuff. They have the same inspiration that like the Guardians do in Breath of the Wild, which is the old, the ancient um, pottery in Japan. I'm forgetting the term for it right now. Um, and like a lot of the visual style is based on a pretty famous, uh, classic animated movie in Japan, um, that I'm also forgetting the name of right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so like there's some Japanese influence in that way. 
I personally would say Breath of the Wild feels more Japanese influenced. Well, yeah, so to clarify, yes, Breath of the Wild has much more of like a traditional Japanese influence, I think. But this this game to me has always and I don't have the biggest grounding with with like anime, you know, as an art form. But this game has always felt to me like it has got the most Japanese animation influence, I guess, is how I would put it. That is definitely true. And I think that's why you don't like it as much, Matt, because you have never been quite as drawn to that style of of anything, really. Yeah. Um, and I think for a similar reason, you don't enjoy the look of this boss. Yeah, no, I think that's totally accurate. And I think that that goes kind of a long way towards explaining why you've never really gelled with the overall aesthetic and personality of this game. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's there's something interesting there because like typically Americans when they, we talk about anime, we're referring to like shojo and shonen manga inspired anime, um, which looks very different than the classical movie that like the wind waker is based on. I looked it up. It's called, um, the little prince and the eight headed dragon, uh, is the way it's typically translated. If you Google that, um, you'll find a movie that looks just like the wind waker. Um, but like that, and that's a more of a children's animated movie, like something that like you would have taken a, a young child to in the U S more like Disney. Um, and it looks very different from what we usually think of as anime on the, in the West. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but in interviews, they refer to it as anime because it's an animated film in Japan. That's all anime. Sure. Yeah. 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 Anyway, just a just a fun little observation there. I think uh, if anybody has been listening to all of this and thinking, "Man, this art style is so charming, and the personality is great, and Matt just doesn't seem to like it and whatnot," I think that there's like a there's a there's a base interest in certain aesthetic that like I, I like I appreciate a lot of this stuff. You know, I like I like it quite a bit, but I don't think it's ever been something that you have had any emotional attachment to. No. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Actually, I, I know that you're right. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. It also looks like Emperor's New Groove at times, which is the best Disney movie. Oh, I it love, is. I it love is the Emperor's best Disney movie. Love Emperor's Well, a lot New of that Groove. goes back to, I mean, I know in an earlier episode we talked about how a lot of the architecture and like shape language is actually more like uh, Central American. You know, and uh, I think that that's perfectly valid as well. Um, But I think a lot of the personality is is very Japanese animation. And so, yeah, just uh, there you go. Mystery solved for anyone who was wondering why Matt just wasn't getting it. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm famous for just not understanding and not getting things. Apparently, I don't know. We'll just we'll just we'll just leave it at that. I just I'm the resident uh, naysayer for all things. How about that? except for skyward sword except for skyward sword which you are the opposite of that so yeah okay so puppet ganon really fun fight as as in terms of like so especially for breaking down this ganon boss fight into two phases the way that ocarina of time had ganondorf and then ganon i think that uh this is an excellent first phase just because there's there's so much going on and there's so much more to do and it's so much more challenging than than just the ganondorf fight was yeah, I agree. I think it was also interesting to reverse the formula and do the, you know, what is, I guess, 
comparable to the beast form of Ganon first and then Ganondorf second. Like that's a that's a very um, prominent reversal of the normal formula. So I thought that that was interesting and and yeah. good and uh, subverted expectations in a good way. This was the first Zelda game that had the the final boss be Link and Zelda fighting together against human form Ganon in a sword fight. And it was awesome. So that and then they that in most of the 3D games since. So that fight is incredible. I love the traversal that you have to do to get up to that platform from the main boss room. Like I love how the, what, like the main thread from the puppet, you have to climb up it and then just ascend the rafters to get on top of the tower. That's really cool. Just a little bit of a, a fun little bit of environmental depth, I guess. But once we get to the top of the tower, yes, we're faced with Ganondorf himself. Zelda's there. All of these excellent story beats happen. And then what we have is such a fun sword fight with Ganondorf. He's using his twin blades the way that uh, Ganon did in Ocarina of Time. But to me, this was just like such a fun dynamic fight. It's 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 difficult because he does tons of damage. Um, you really have to be quick on your feet and be good with your parries, which I think is once again a great showcase of the combat in this game. But also to your point, Max, yes, having to fight the final boss with Zelda is a is a big deal after this point. But I think that this is the best incarnation of it. Oh, yeah. Um, I think so, too. Uh, it's probably my favorite finale. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of competition. A lot of them are amazing. But uh, <laughs> Twilight Princess has an amazing final boss, too. Uh, that might be my favorite. How long, Matt, did it take you to figure out that you needed to reflect your light arrow off your mirror shield? Um, she had to tell me that that's what she's going to do. So I guess a yeah. long time. <laughs> she gives like increasingly explicit hints. I think the first one, she's like, you know what to do, Link. And you're like, I don't yeah. I don't have any idea what you're talking <laughs> yep. about. Link. That's exactly what it, the first one. Yep. <laughs> and then I like was running around. I was trying to like hit him while she was aiming so that he would be distracted. And then he just kept jumping over it. I tried to time a, you know, the where you push a to dodge around and uh, repost at the same time. And he dodged both. And I was like, OK, this guy is ridiculous. This is he's good. And then she was like, Link, use your shield. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. I can do that. <laughs> so, yeah, she had to tell me explicitly what to do. There you go. It's funny because like it sort of makes sense that a mirror shield can reflect a light arrow, but they have such a physical presence that it doesn't it's not actually intuitive that that's how it would work right yeah totally agree like i had no idea that that was uh possible it's never been done before other than reflecting just actual light um and also why would i ever assume that zelda is gonna shoot at me to hit ganondorf like that's a well at some point it becomes really confusing right because i actually got shot by zelda at one point like I took damage from Zelda shooting me with a light arrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That didn't happen to me. That's really funny. I didn't know that was possible. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that if there had been some sort of puzzle solving mechanic earlier in the dungeon that required you to use the light arrows for the purposes of like casting light, you know, as, as we kind of got used to in the Earth Temple, then this might have been a little bit easier to figure out. But, you know, as it is to me, it's sort of the same as needing to figure out that you have to use your skyward strike to absorb lightning in skyward sword yeah that's fair 
And the only way I figured that one out the first time was by total accident. Right. So, yeah. I mean, here you go. It yeah. happens. Yeah. So, yeah, especially thematically, I just think it's a it's a really fun, very cinematic thing that sort of that sort of happens here. And it's a great way to end this fight. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's what this really all boils down to. It's not the most complicated boss fight we've ever had in a Zelda game. It's not necessarily the hardest, certainly not the easiest, but just all of the things that happen in it, in addition to the fact that you're like you, you feel like you're about to be consumed by the ocean for this entire thing. You know, it's just constantly like it's raining down upon you. It's, it's just such a great atmosphere for a final boss arena. And it's a really cool juxtaposition to what we normally get, which is some variation on like a ring of fire or something, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought that the, um, added set piece of the rain and the water falling all around you the whole time was really well done and, and tastefully executed and, um, an excellent addition to the set piece of the fight. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about this whole final Ganon fight, Max? Um, I, I largely agree with what you two have been saying. Um, I love, uh, I love how dynamic it feels because you have to move around a lot. Zelda's moving around and shooting things around and Ganon Dorf, um, is like, he's doing like flips and shit. Like he's, He's cartwheeling around, um, flying around like Cirque du Soleil, and he looks awesome while he's doing it, even with the, his that, that character design that you would never expect to do it. Um, like the silhouettes he strikes with those two twin swords and the poses he ta- he like blocks you with and stuff are awesome. Uh, so I love all of that stuff. Um, and and then of course there's the visuals of the arena, like you were just talking about. Like it feels like the end of the world that you're fighting in, like the eye of a hurricane that's destroying Hyrule, because that's literally what's happening right now when this is hap- when this fight is going on, right? Like the whole sea is crashing down around you, and you can kind of feel it. Um, and that's super cool, super unique. Uh, I mean, a lot of other Zelda game finales have really cool final arenas too, like. Ocarina of Times and Twilight Princesses are no, um, what's the phrase? <laughs> you know, whatever. They're good too. And of course, Skyward Swords is awesome. But uh, this is probably my favorite arena of all of the 3D Zeldas or of any of them for the finale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think w- one of the coolest things that I saw happen was doing one of my parries where you roll around and try to hit him from the back. He just straight up throws one of his swords behind his back vertically and just blocks you. He's just like, psh. Nah, I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> mad respect. It's like, can't, can't that was so cool. <laughs> a thousand years he was alone in Hyrule doing yoga. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sparring with some unfortunate moblins or something and just totally trashing them regularly. Really yeah. pays off. He's very spry. He is an excellent swordsman. There's yeah, no doubt about yeah. that. Oh, man. Uh, and then, of, and then, of course, it ends in possibly the most badass way that any boss fight could possibly end, Dude, which yeah, is that, that was insane. We just stick the master sword straight into Ganon's face, which, in fairness, happens in Ocarina of Time as well. Uh, yeah, but, we, but we like out in Ocarina of Time, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's dude, like, and that sword is all the way like it's got to be halfway down his back vertically like <laughs> and he's still talking yeah and he's like ah, and i'm like hi oh my god how are you still doing anything <laughs> yeah that was nuts 
I know that we're kind of out of the plot section here, but I did just want to say to me uh, of all of the emotionally impactful things that happen in this little bit here, the one that hits me sort of the hardest is leaving the master sword at the bottom of the sea. Yeah, like I didn't this. like that. Well, it, I mean, I get it, but well, it's not it's not needed anymore. You know, yeah. is the thing. Like, but what is the master, master sword, sword without Hyrule? Right. Yeah. Or Ganon to defeat. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Um, We're just leaving you down there. Yeah. Exactly. Like, my, my oh girl, well, now I'm my, sad. My girl is down there underneath ten thousand feet of water or whatever. Like, ugh. Poor Fi. Oh man, I guess that is as okay. Going back to the curse of demise, right? Like. I guess that's sort of sad now, right? Because Fi is is supposed to be our eternal companion mm-hmm. in the in the fight against the reincarnation of Demise's curse. Yep. Which I guess now we're just kind of like SOL. Like, yep. oh man, sure, sure wish we had that magic sword around for this. Well, this I'm sure you could go thing. pull it up off the, from the bottom of the ocean with a grapple hook at some point. <laughs> just, uh, go, go get a sea chart and go over there and just pull it up and Tinkle can decipher it for us. After this, the whole economy of pulling stuff off the seafloor stopped working because the floor was too far down now. Well, <sighs> everything was now we just saw it become before. That's, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Everyone's out there using their grapple hooks like, what is going on? This used to work. Uh, the, the part that hits me emotionally the most is um, the final moments with Daphne's, No Hanson, Hyrule. You know, the kids bubbling. Yeah, they're trying to reach for him. Link and tries to reach for him, just, and he reaches too, and then he his, turns his eyes down, accepting his fate. Um, I used to be Ugh. so mad that they didn't just take him with him. I'm like, why do they get these bubbles and he just sits there? Like, what the hell? I think it's because his Triforce wish, he wishes was for the future for these children. So they're saved yep. by the Triforce wish. That's exactly what I took it to mean, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And he didn't wish for one for himself because he's of the past. Hmm. Sad. And so he just kind of drowns down there. I guess he drowns, yeah. I mean... Or the pressure would kill him. R.I.P. to a real one, King Daphnis, no Hanson, Hyrule. Yeah. No, I, I definitely felt the same way. And I mean, the music that plays while all this is happening is like a, a big part of that, too. You know, the I think the, the title of the track is Farewell, Hyrule King. Yep. You know? And, uh, oh, man. The episode to prep myself. Uh, Did it work? Oh, yeah, I got real sad. <laughs> that's how we want everyone to that's how we want everyone to show up to recording times real sad it's my favorite rendition of the hyrule castle theme yeah well and it shows up in a lot of like you know those youtube like top 10 best zelda tracks right like it shows up in there a lot so um because it is it is just that good uh and it it, it is a really Our effective un- piano yeah yep requiem yeah. and so it's a very effective underscore to this like very heavy moment um you know and and then of course like everything gets happy again we get back above the ocean and we see the pirate ship and it's like oh medley and makar are okay and kamali's here and you know so everything's happy after that yeah. it's especially happy to see medley and makar because you leave them wondering like are their lives over do they have to be sages forever now are they just like stuck in, in that those like empty boss rooms forever? Yeah. Like the last <laughs> stages seem to have been. Um, so I, I yeah, well they they actually died. So yeah, 
that that's still my take on all that. There, those sages are all dead. They were they were dead when you got there. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely dead ski. Yeah. Well, does anybody have anything else they want to say about this incarnation of Ganon's tower before we move on from here? Nope, I'm good. Cool. Well, I feel like we need to blow right past Bloopy Trails because what is there even really to say? Um, yeah, wait, I didn't know. Did nothing. Nothing applicable. Although it is kind of neat that you can use Ganon's portal to go back up to the overworld if you need to like re up on potions or anything. Like I thought that was or just finish neat. up a side quest or something. I, I appreciated yeah. that too. That's uh, the only time I can think that that ever happens. Yeah, I did think it was really cool that that thing pops up right in the middle of the Forsaken Fortress. Like. Oh yeah, of course this is where it goes. You know? Yeah, um, just a, just neat. It's kind of like the inverse of the Tower of the Gods. You know? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. So, uh, okay. Well, with all that being said, we are moving right past part four and getting into part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. All right. So this is going to be tough because there's a lot to choose from here and i am actually so we have this rule where if you've previously chosen a zelda a link or a ganon i don't know if ganon's actually in a part of this rule but uh if you've previously chosen a zelda or a link in the game or daphne's or daphne's then you can't choose them again uh and i'm actually struggling to remember if i've chosen any of those you haven't i've chosen daphne's you chose daphne's yeah okay cool so I guess with that being said, I'm going to go to you first, Matt. Who's your Z-targeting pick? Oh, Ganondorf. Thousand percent. Yeah. Ganondorf was just an excellent character. His characterization is probably the best in the entire series. Um, and it was just compelling and um, tragic in a way, but still very much Ganondorf and, and definitely the bad guy. And um, yeah, I thought it was just very, very, very well done. Cool. Max, I'm going to go to you next. I'm going to leave myself in the unenviable position of choosing last. (laughs) Well, I'm going to choose the very unsurprising choice of Daphne's. I would have chosen Ganondorf as my actual first choice, but Daphne's is just as good. Uh, And I I think this is his story, and this is his climax, and he gets to make a Triforce wish, and he gets to say goodbye to his his old life and his old land to give these kids a future. And it is very good storytelling. Notably, I think the only character in a Zelda game to make a Triforce wish that isn't, Link. that isn't Link. I was going to say the exact same thing, or I guess, I guess technically Ganondorf. I think the implication is that Ganondorf off screen wished on the Triforce in Ocarina of time. And that's how the, that's how, well actually no he didn't wish on it he tried to and then it broke into pieces he yeah, on it because his heart was on here link to the past but isn't that what happened in ocarina isn't that how the isn't that how the dark world was created he wished on it and the sacred realm became evil no he didn't actually get the full triforce in ocarina of time oh right in the downfall timeline he manages to get both pieces from zelda and, zelda and Link. yeah i have no idea okay. how this all hooks up really i, I don't have it all memorize that's goofy but <laughs> but in it's goofy it's really goofy in backstories ganon has wished on the triforce at least in links of the past maybe there's okay. stuff too i forget well then i guess i'll revise my statement to say daphne's is the only person who is not a holder of a triforce piece who has wished on the triforce in the zelda series yeah, i think that's fair 
Yeah, I don't think Zelda ever has. Yeah. Oh, um, I will not say anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but yeah, no, Daphne is definitely a great pick. Um, that's who I was going to pick in the highly unlikely event that you didn't pick him. Uh, but I knew you were going to. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I look. I'm also going to say, uh, God, I you know Ganondorf, Daphne's. It's 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 really a it's it's completely them. even. Like yeah. it's it's their it's their climax. Yeah, you could go either way with it, and it's it's totally applicable. Um, they are the stars of this entire. Like you said, Max. I mean, I guess you could really call Wind Waker. Daphne's story mainly with Link as like a catalyst for some things. Um, and Ganondorf is, is equal in that way, which is very interesting just from a narrative construction standpoint. Um, although pirate but, dress Errol is very compelling in this section. I love her little skull dress. That yeah, she has it was here. pretty like, cool. Yeah. Well, that's actually, so you remember I, earlier in the season, I was saying that, uh, I started up that new game plus mode from a previous clear yeah and you can wear lobster shirt yeah and you're just wearing lobster shirt the whole time uh errol in that version is wearing uh pirate, pirate shirt oh the yay whole time. yeah so yeah that that outfit is pretty cool um so I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna pick something other than daphne's or ganondorf just for the sake of diversity of tetra of saying something but um uh, yeah i guess so i mean she's pretty cool she is uh I was going to talk I was going to talk about Phantom Ganon just as an enemy. Yeah, do enemies it. are technically also, under the umbrella cool. here. Uh, I never get tired of fighting Phantom Ganon. Um I love the fight with him in Ocarina of Time and obviously this is super similar to that. I love the aesthetic of Phantom Ganon in this game. I think it's so cool because he really does look like just the spectral evil form of physical Ganon, which is really, really great. Um, that kind of glowy purple thing he's got going on is cool. And I enjoyed fighting him in this dungeon, even though you had to do it like seven times, uh, each time. Yeah. I actually never got tired of it. Yeah. And like, even though you fight him so many times, you, did you know you can kill him in one shot with a light arrow? Yes, I did know that. But of course you, you don't have the light arrow for the first few times that you fight him. Right. I, I think only the first time. Well, when you're in the little maze down there, like at the end of the maze, you get the light arrow and then you. I definitely used a light arrow to kill him in the maze. I think you get the light arrow after the first time you fight him because it's a full like you do multiple damages instead of just one because every other time you fight him, if you knock him down, you just hit him once and he's dead. I think it's the like first time you fight him. through like you find you, you navigate the maze, get the light arrow and then you have to navigate the maze again to get to the doorway. That you have to break with the sword. Right. So once you get once you get back up to the chamber with the two with the symmetrical rooms where there's the clue that tells you what switches to hit in the other room. That Phantom Ganon that you fight in there, you have to kill with the light arrow, and then it drops its sword, and you can use that sword to break open the door. Oh, yeah. oh okay. So, okay. Yeah. There you go. And that was a really cool moment, right? Like yeah. the the effects and everything that happened there were great. But yeah, Phantom Ganon's a really fun enemy to fight. I'm gonna give an honorable mention for my Z targeting to all of the people who are important to Link that he's just left on that island. He didn't even look back and wave goodbye. He just like <laughs> straight Stone cold Steve Austin just <laughs> pieces out. He had to show out. the growth from his initial departure cutscene where he waves to the point where Tetra makes fun of him, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I get, yeah, but it's not growth to not say goodbye to your aging grandmother who you'll probably never see again. Like, come on, <laughs> say bye. I will say that, so I was kind of wondering about this. I'm not sure if the implication is that he's like, okay, peace out, family. I'm leaving you forever, right? I think maybe the way this is supposed to be read is that they're going to go find a new land and then bring everybody to it. Because I like, guess that's fair. Because like, what's the point of finding a new land if it's just you and a bunch of pirates with one female? Like, they're going to Adam and Eve that. <laughs> from a genetic standpoint, that doesn't that's work. Unsustainable. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I think I think the implication is that I don't think it's supposed to be like a forever goodbye or anything, but it's it's definitely a little unclear. But yeah. uh anyway, I, I just I love that you spend all this time like saving Errol in your home island and everything, and, and now then you just, just peace like, out. Bye y'all, been fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that was fun. I did like seeing Yeah. I did like seeing Tetra back in her pirate garb. I thought that was Oh, fun. definitely, yeah. Yeah. Well, and with her pirate tan, mysteriously. Uh yeah. And also she was in pirate garb as soon as you surfaced back on the ocean. She wasn't still in her Princess Zelda dress. Like Oh yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Yeah, there there there's no um costume continuity. I mean I guess it was Daphne's uh, magic that like transformed her into Zelda. That's fair. Guys. Yeah. And he's now dead, so uh, Daphne's R.I.P. Mm. It's a it's a it's a weird late game outfit switch it's like uh it's like the end of empire strikes back when all of a sudden lando is wearing han's clothes and you're yeah, like yeah 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 you're like wait did you just like raid han's closet in the millennium falcon that's kind like, of a what dick you, move. what you doing there buddy <laughs> that's how you psych yourself up to go rogue <laughs> you put on han's vest and and not your cape Ah, oh, man what a, what a lack of cape uh, always that's wear the cape sad. always wear the cape yeah. um if you had chosen if you'd gone before me and had chosen um, Daphne's, I would have chosen the land of Hyrule as my character. Oh, uh, that's a, that's a do, classic Max. That's Nichols. a classic Max thing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but I actually would not have chosen that. Like, I, I think that's generally a pretty good play. I wouldn't have actually done that. And in, in this instance, just because, uh, as neat as it is being in like little bubbles of, of old Hyrule, um, I want to see more of it. It feels weirdly small and especially like, especially given that once you leave Hyrule Castle, you just take this one little walkway and you're immediately in Ganon's tower, you know, um, it makes it feel very like it feels very video gamey, right? Ganon's tower was like two minute walk from Hyrule Castle. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. literally next door. And and so that's actually I was actually going to mention that earlier, but then Matt brought up the point that's like, oh, I think Ganon built this tower while he was like imprisoned underneath the sea or whatever. I was like, okay, I think that actually makes a lot more sense because I was just thinking like, all right, Ganon invades Hyrule and then just sets up shop like a block over from Hyrule Castle. It's like, how does that work? You know, uh, Matt's earlier headcanon explanation makes a little bit more sense to me, but um but you 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 could have said the great sea as a character. I mean that would that would have been that yeah, would have been but, an option as well. The great sea. We didn't say goodbye to the great sea. It's true. And actually, I want to point out something interesting. Another interesting about Ganon's first monologue while he's you know reading Tetra's dreams. He says oceans and oceans and oceans. None of it even bearing fish. And I thought that was an interesting little piece. Of, uh, we have fish man. Well, but you know it like. 
you don't eat fish man presumably maybe you don't eat fish man. <laughs> i hope you don't eat fish man that's like semi-cannibalism <laughs> we is, probably shouldn't do that that the zelda lore fanatics would be better equipped to answer but i do know that there's like other places where it kind of supports the idea that there aren't fish in the great sea like the great sea isn't hospitable to sea life for some reason and the yeah. fish men so, uh, are an exception because they're sentient because they're like i don't know reason. i feel like the fishmen are like soldiers of hyrule like transformed into ever-present fish spirit guardians or something weird like oh, that's i like a, that that's a cool idea i like that headcanon we're gonna keep it we we, st- we need to start keeping a running list we, of anyone in our discord community who wants to go keep a list of our headcanon <laughs> we already have people transcribing the plot recaps. they could be other people people who are not transcribing pro- plot recaps <laughs> <laughs> okay Dark Nug and Stephanie, you guys, uh, or Tiffany, you guys can't do that. Or I mean, you can if you just really want to. But <laughs> yeah, feel free, go to ask it of them. Exactly, uh-huh, yeah. we're not requesting anybody do that. But if someone wants to, we would be appreciative. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of part five. Let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts, in which we let Matt wrap up this section of the game in as succinct a way as he can think to do. Always challenging to do this for the finale of a game, Matt. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, we come to the end of our journey across the Great Sea uh, with a revisit to the ancient land of Hyrule, where we undergo uh, the exploration of the castle to find Zelda taken away from us and where we have to then go explore the dark underworld of Ganon's castle. We uh, undergo many trials and tribulations to reach our quarry, and along the way we fight lots of enemies, including uh, puppets of Ganon's own design, until we finally face our foe at the top of his own tower uh, at the end of it all. He bests us and summons the Triforce, and just as all hope seems lost, King Daphne's Hyrule saves the world and us from certain doom at the hands of Ganon's evil wish sacrificing himself and his kingdom for the future of those above. We then do battle with Tetra at our side to overthrow Ganondorf in his final throes of madness and frustration. Once we bring him low, the great sea collapses around the kingdom of Hyrule, flooding it once and for all and destroying it and its memory. As we float back to the surface, we look down and see King Daphne's accepting his fate as the ruler of a kingdom that no longer exists. And as we resurface, we find ourselves back in the home we've always known, upon the Great Sea, where our sister Errol and the Pirates of Tetris crew save us from floating on the Great Sea forever and end our journey by setting out to find new lands and new hope for those who live upon it. Well done, as always, Matt. This brings us to the end of the Sacred Realms rundown for The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. This is going to be the last one of this season. We will, of course, be back next week, not with a Sacred Realms rundown, but with our recap episode where we rank this game against the other ones that we played. And then we will be back with the Sacred Realms rundown in season eight of this show. Covering a new game, which if you have not heard on a previous episode, that game is going to be A Link Between Worlds, which we'll be playing on the 3DS, going back to another top-down game and one that I am particularly excited to play, not least of which because I'm going to be able to play it in bed, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, very very excited. It's a game changer. (laughs) 
Oh man. Uh, man, you know, it, it's, it's been a wild ride to get here. I am so happy to have been able to replay this game. I've been really in the mood to do it for a long time. And, uh, obviously back in 2020, 2021, when we started this podcast, um, I knew that it was going to be a while. Like I, I, I was right on the cusp of breaking out the Wii U and replaying it for a while there. And then we decided to start the podcast and I was like, okay, well now I have to wait and I'm just going to play it whenever we get to it. And that was, a uh, almost two years later. <laughs> yeah. That, that time, that time has come and gone. And, uh, and, and I loved it, you know, yeah. um, I loved my time with this game. I, I was talking to Matt about it earlier and again, not to get too much ahead of our content for next week, but when it comes down to whether or not we're going to replay this game at some point in the future, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to do it, but definitely yes. Um, uh, but Matt says definitely yes. And I think fair to say whenever it comes out on the switch, right, Matt? Oh, absolutely. The day it comes out on switch, I will be buying it, downloading it and playing that as my travel game. And, um, <laughs> look, I, I'll say that this was probably the game I was most excited to play for the first time when we even first discussed the possibility of this podcast and playing through all the Zelda games. Like one of my first thoughts was, man, I'm so excited. I'm finally going to have like have to sit down and make myself play this game. It's like, I've wanted to play it, but I've just never prioritized it. And like, this will force me to do that. And I was very excited and I think it paid off. I, I, I cannot say and I would never want to say that I didn't enjoy my time with this game. I, I had a very fun time and I'm looking forward to um, playing it in a non-scripted fashion on my own time and in my own leisure. Um, we we discussed, and again, not to get in, into next week too much, but scheduling this game, I think, did it a little bit of a disservice because it, it is much more of a game that's supposed to be... Um, explored on your own time and in your own way. And, um, I think it lends itself to a much more casual playthrough style than we were really able to give it just for the sake of having to produce content for it. So I'm looking forward to a time when I'm not set to a schedule of having to do a certain amount every week. And, um, yeah, I, I think even with all of that being said, I, I really, really enjoyed this game. So on that point real quick, before we get out of here, Max, do you think that, I mean, what was your experience like? Because you were playing on the same schedule that we were. Did you find that that sort of took away a little bit from the from the casual exploration component of this whole thing that it's kind of supposed to have and one of the reasons that it's so famous? Not so much. Um, part of that is because my schedule wasn't as quite as uh, stuck as yours because I could I could kind of go ahead of you or, you know, do multiple dungeons in a week if I wanted. So I kind of was a little bit more organic with it. Um, cause I only had two points where I needed to be at a specific place for, um, and, and honestly, the bigger, the bigger impact on the freewheeling exploration element of the game is the fact that you can't do most of the great sea until late game anyways. So like, sure. That, that yeah. always weighs yeah. heavily on me whenever you play this game and it makes me not want to explore until later anyways. Yeah, I think that's fair. And also I think replaying it will make exploration easier. Like for me having to schedule time to go explore things that I didn't know if I was going to be going back to like episode two or three, when I spent two hours doing exploration that netted me 
nothing because I couldn't do it. Like, I think I think Breath of the Wild really it created some expectations and some styles of play for you yeah. going into this game playing totally. this for the first time. Totally. That uh didn't pan out. Yeah, that 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 caused some frustration for you. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting conversation to have about if you if you played a lot of Breath of the Wild and you've never Which played the Wind have. Waker. Yeah. Yeah. And then so you go into the Wind Waker having never played it after having played a lot of breath of the wild what what is your expectation based on what it seems like the world right is and how it operates you know i think that there's a very interesting conversation to be had there and it's kind of an unfair one because we're talking about games that are separated by like 15 years yeah right yeah i mean i totally agree and i think it's one of the things that we've tried very hard especially in rank and recap episodes um to to view and and talk about these games objectively not from the standpoint of what we've already experienced but kind of where they are and where these games were released within their times right And, and that's very very hard uh, especially with how much Zelda we have played and especially the time in which I specifically like grew up the Zelda games I grew up with like they influence so much but trying to separate my experience based on games that came out afterwards like that's going to be a big part of the conversation I think in our rank and recap is is like trying to separate my expectation for um, Wind Waker based on specifically Breath of the Wild or even Skyward Sword to a much lesser extent. Um, but like, you know, ranking and reviewing Wind Waker for what it is and when it came out and in the order of chronological release. I think it's fair to say we have some soul searching to do this week Yeah, before we record our next episode. Yeah, it's going to be a hard one. I think the yeah. rank and recap is going to be probably the most difficult one we've had uh since in all seven seasons and we and we knew we, we knew that it would be we knew that this was going to be the point where it started to get a little squirrely yep it's going to be hard yeah i'm so. excited to see some shakeup. Uh, <laughs> also i, I want to nominate an additional category for the rank and recap next week yes Go for it which is you've now played all of the 3d zelda games that feature beetle and you must. <laughs> so, so you want to know which game has the best incarnation of Beetle, basically? <laughs> yep, this is very important science. <laughs> we will. It will. It will be added to the agenda. Uh, maybe shoot me a reminder sometime middle of the week <laughs> so that I add it to the script. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll we'll follow up on that. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great episode. Uh, Max, do you have anything extra that you want to say about this game? before we close out your time talking about it. No, I think I've gotten most of my thoughts off my chest. Thanks for giving me a chance. I needed three episodes to do that this time. Uh, It was a good time. That's okay. I mean, here's a question I'll ask you, Max, uh, because we are still eight minutes shy of two hours and it would be, it would be wrong to have a Max Nichols episode that didn't break the two hour mark. Um, Is there any game left in our in our uh, our schedule, anything we haven't played yet that you were looking forward to discussing as much as you were this game? No, definitely not. Um, I'm am very I'm looking very am very much looking forward to discussing several of the other games. Of course, like I think it, Link Between Worlds will be great. I'm excited about the Oracles and the Wind Waker sequels, which I haven't finished. Um, but like none of them are nearly as close to my heart as this one. The yes, closest okay. would be Majora's Mask, which 
Yeah. Yeah. I, man, Majora's Mask is looming large in our, <laughs> I, I in our almost, upcoming. there is a large part of me that hopes it is our last 3D game just so that we go out on the highest note. Well, the, I mean, the, the ringer here is like, where do, where, how do we do Tears of the Kingdom? Like, where does That's that That's going to be it. We're going like, to have to discuss that at length at yeah. some point. Because <laughs> um, we have already discussed that we don't want to do Tears of the Kingdom, our first playthrough of Tears of the Kingdom for the pod. No, so here's here's what I think we do. And we're, I'm kind of wrapping a little bit off the cuff right yeah, here. But sure. here's what I think we do with Tears of the Kingdom. Because it's going to come very soon after we finish A Link Between Worlds. Mm-hmm. I say after A Link Between Worlds, we bonus episode with a few recurring guests for two weeks. And then we do three weeks of Tears of the Kingdom impressions. Sure. As we're playing it naturally, you know, like non-structured, no sacred realms rundown. We just come back once a week for those three weeks and we say, here's what we're doing. Here's how we feel about it. Here's what we think about it. Just have a discussion and we'll have guests on for that as well. Right. And uh, then after those three weeks are over, we'll move on to our next voted game. Yep. And at some later point, we will do a Tears of the Kingdom season sure and so that's where it gets a little hairy right because if we're doing it that way then i think tears of the kingdom becomes our last uh our last actual season yep until something else comes out right but uh but i I, you know i don't know i i just i just don't think it's right to do our tears of the kingdom season the first time we played yeah the first time we played during its launch window no one i don't even know how we would schedule that and two, I think there would be too much bias sure. in our voting yes. of where it lands on the list just yep. based on like we've been waiting for this game for six years. You know? Yes. I I think I think you two need to protect your enjoyment of the game because your enjoyment of these games is key to doing a good season. Of I totally so, agree. Yep. That. Totally agree, Max. Thank you for saying so. Cool. <laughs> well, with all that being said, Max, do you want to come on for one of those three weeks in which we're just kind of talking about our Tears of the Kingdom impressions playing after launch day. Yes, I'm, I'm hesitating a little bit because I'm like super spoiler shy. I'm going to like do a media blackout and stuff as soon as they're releasing trailers and stuff. And I'm going to try not to see any of them. Um, but by that point, I will have played a lot. So I'll be less afraid. OK, yeah, cool. All right. Well, this this has taken an unexpected tangent into how we're going to handle this upcoming massive Zelda game release that we've all been waiting years for, but literal years. Uh, but it's just it's appropriate. I mean, we're getting we're getting to that time. We're a Zelda podcast, and we're approaching one of the most exciting times to be a Zelda fan. The longest gap in time between Zelda releases, and ever. it really feels like it. It really does. It's it's been blunted a little bit just because the Link's Awakening remaster came out during that time, and that and was Skyward Sword remaster. Yes, but the Link's Awakening remaster was such a special thing for me. Like Skyward Sword was special, such a special thing for me. Well, I I appreciate your feelings. I validate them. <laughs> I don't think you do. I'm getting the uh, I'm <laughs> getting the impression you don't care. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh man. Just have what? to bust your chops a little bit. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just, it's just the dynamic that we have. Max, we appreciate you coming on the episode this week. Um, it was a big one, but, uh, you know, I think we did it justice and uh, there, there was a lot of really fun stuff to talk about. And, you know, I hope you had as much fun as we did. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks for having me again. 
Is Wind Waker one of – so I know that as time goes on, there's probably less material for you to add to Hyrule interviews. Um, I know like there's uh, there's probably a lot of really juicy stuff to document about the early days of Zelda, right? Uh, Wind Waker seems like one of those where you actually have quite a lot of material to work with. Yeah. Um I keep finding so I it is like a bottomless ocean of Zelda interviews out there. Like I have a almost 800 in my database now and it's I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. There's so much um especially once you get into untranslated interviews in Japanese magazines. Uh like, did you know gaming recently released a video about cut content from the wind waker and they, they cited their sources and there was like, Oh, there's like 15 interviews that they're using as sources that are, none of them are translated and published in English anywhere. All from like Nintendo dream issues, which is a magazine in Japan that has extremely high access to Nintendo figures. Um, like, so that's going to be just a forever project is like cataloging and then finding translators for, these Japanese. I mean, do you have a Japanese fluent resource who you can like kind of lean on to help you translate some of this stuff? Or are you just relying completely on whenever it happens to make its way onto, you know? So there are a couple interviews on my site that, um, through just kind of happenstance, I ended up finding like, so I'm, I'm a member of a bunch of discords that are like about game preservation. Uh, and sometimes people will be like, yeah, I translate this interview to like, answer a timeline question because we're having a debate about the Zelda timeline on this Zelda discord. And I'm like, I jump on that. I'm like, Hey, can I publish this? Because it's not published <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> this interview, this translation you yeah. did. And so I have a few that are like essentially exclusives or whatever, whether the first time they've ever been translated to English and published that way is on my site. Um, I don't want to be hosting exclusives because I don't want all the eggs to be in one basket. Sure. Uh, so I'm like, I, when I, when this happens, I'm like also submitting them to the internet archive and stuff. Uh, where was I going with this? Um, uh, anyways, long story short, I've had one offs like that, but I don't have any like recurring, like this is my friend who's a good writer in English and speaks Japanese and can do translations for me. Gotcha. Uh, do not. All right. Well, this seems like a really good time to let you uh, explicitly plug where on the internet people can go to find all this content that we're talking about. Yeah. So I run HyruleInterviews.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter account. Um, the Twitter account posts daily quotes uh, that I have hand-selected because uh, I think they're interesting. Uh, I have a lot of fun with that. And then the the actual main site is it's kind of just a database. It's a little bit of a pain to navigate if you're not used to just raw databases. But it's basically like you can click on Wind Waker and it will show you all the quotes I have for the Wind Waker, all the people who worked on the Wind Waker, all the interviews that mention the Wind Waker. Um, and you can click on a person's name and it will show you all the interviews that person appears in and all the quotes that person is I've saved for that person. You know, all sorts of stuff. It's all interlinked in that yeah. way. Uh, so it's a pretty powerful tool for me to just learn Zelda stuff, basically. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's awesome. And I, and once again, I, I encourage everyone to really go check out this site because if you have any interest in the, in the historical context around the development of this series, then Hyrule Interviews is your place to go. Max is uh, assembling an incredible archive of very useful information for fans of this series. So definitely go check that out. Um, I personally, so obviously I follow your account on Twitter and, uh, I, I definitely appreciate seeing the quotes that you're posting. You know, it's a it's a fun little thing that pops up on my timeline every now and again and uh, gives me a minute to sit and think and say, oh, man, that's interesting. You know, um, and so I, I very much appreciate that. <sighs> you're doing uh, you're doing excellent work. But, uh, you know, until the next time we talk to you, Max, this has been a great episode. Seriously. Um, love having you on the show and uh, we'll do it all again sometime in a link between worlds. How's that sound? Can't wait. Yeah. Well, neither can I, because uh, you know, between you, me and all the people who are listening to this episode, a link between worlds is one of those Zelda games that I actually have a lot of fondness for. And I think it might end up higher on my ranking than it might be for a lot of other people. I'm, I'm really excited to go back and play it again. So. Between the two of you, me, and the thousand plus people that listen to this podcast every week. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just between all of us. You know? <laughs> so it's going to be a really good time. Uh, but until then, uh, wish you the best, Max, and we'll, we'll catch up again soon, okay? Yeah. Awesome. Matt, you ready to get out of here for the week? Let's do it. It's almost midnight. I want to go home and go to bed. Second, yeah, because you don't live here anymore. I don't. I have to drive somewhere now. Ugh, yeah. It sucks. Sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, you did kick me out. It just is what it is. <laughs> you have a very nice apartment now. I do. You didn't kick me out. Just for anybody listening, we're not actually having familial strife. I was just <laughs> busting his chops. It's fine. <laughs> If we ever have legitimate familial strife, it will not we'll be on the pod. Know. We'll let you know. Probably not. But oh man, <laughs> that would make for good content, though. Of the dirty laundry special. Oh, I was going to say It'd be the the real Zelda podcasters of Plano, Texas. Oh gosh, man, that would be a pretty boring reality TV <laughs> show. To be, be honest, terrible. <laughs> it would so suck. Bad. Oh man. All right, y'all. If you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra sacred realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacred realms pod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy. Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacred realms pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred realms will be back next Wednesday with our rank and recap of The Wind Waker featuring The Detective. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. The Wind Waker can be played on the Nintendo GameCube in its original form. It can be played in its HD remaster on the Nintendo Wii U, and it can be played on any platform capable of running a Dolphin emulator. But not on the Switch, which is a tragedy. But not on the Switch, and that is a point of some consternation. Um, I do feel it necessary to say that, once again, the next game that we're going to be playing is The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds. If you feel like getting ahead of the game on that, it is, of course, able to be played on the Nintendo 3DS or the Nintendo 2DS. Um, 
you know, I, <laughs> isn't it on a virtual console somewhere? No, it's not. Uh, it's but really it, only those two places. Yeah, but it is still decently easy to qu- to acquire. So if you want to keep up with the podcast and you have anything in the 3DS or 2DS family, I would encourage you to go try to track down a copy pretty quick. Um, it's probably not going to run you a lot, but I doubt it's something that Walmart or Target or anything like that. Yeah, is you'll probably have to do GameStop online yeah. or eBay. Yeah, but uh, Amazon might have it. Yeah, but it, it's not so old or so valued that you would have a hard time finding it. So anywho, uh, time to get ahead of the game and track one down if, uh, if you feel led to do that and to play along with the podcast. But in the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch y'all next time sacred realms is an independent podcast production which is produced edited and mixed by me lyndon willoughby our music comes from zelda and chill by mikkel and is graciously provided to us by mikkel in game shops records zelda and chill is available to stream on spotify or to purchase directly from gameshops.com Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.